0: Yo yo yo, welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. Hope you're having an outstanding week. I'm Coulter Nuanez. As always, you can find this podcast, at SkylinesportsMT.com. A bunch to get to today, gonna get some good analysis and feedback from Brooks Nuanez about both Montana State and Montana, as well as the state of the Big Sky Conference. Big Sky Conference Play opens this weekend with a full docket of games across the league. Also going to hear from a new contributor, old friend, longtime interviewee, but now he's going to be on the Big Sky Breakdown weekly if we can get it all organized. Ty Gregorak, longtime assistant for both Montana and Montana State. Spent 15 years coaching on either side of the greatest rivalry in the West. He'll join us. Davis Alexander, Portland State quarterback. Bo Baldwin, Cal Poly head coach. Bruce Barnum, Portland State head coach. Daniel Hardy, star defensive end for Montana State. And Sammy Akem, star wide receiver for Montana. All that and more here on the Big Sky Breakdown, which is presented proudly by Black. Blackfoot Communications, as well as Alpine Touch. We appreciate Blackfoot for all of their support of our podcasting network, from the Big Sky Breakdown to Grizz Greats to Catching Up with the Cats and everything in between And of course, Nuana is Now, the Nuana is Now podcast, archiving my daily radio show. Blackfoot Communications has been outstanding in helping us bring all of this fine content to you. And Alpine Touch, an oldie but a goodie. Love having those guys back involved. Visit alpinetouch.com for any of your spice needs. They got the Grand Slam packages, the barbecue sauce, the sunflower seeds, and everything in between Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. Get things kicked up. Brooks Nuana is co-founder of Skyline Sports, giving you all the breakdown of the Big Sky here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Skyline Sports every day, every season. Big Sky Breakdown always, SkylineSportsMT.com. Appreciate everybody for tuning in to the Big Sky Breakdown. Appreciate Blackfoot Communications, Alpine Touch, for being proud sponsors of the Big Sky Breakdown. Brooks Nwana is joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. And uh, Brooks, non-conference play is over. Conference play begins. And we're going to get into the details, the nuances, of what the Big Sky accomplished during the non-conference. But... Uh, just your overall thoughts having football back and uh, just the Big Sky Conference reopening league play in its full essence for the first time in a long time.
2: You know it's really exciting, man. It's probably the most exciting I've been for sports in a decade. As far as <clears throat> Big Sky Conference play is, there's familiarity, there's history. We talk about it, you know, the Big Sky Conference in general being one of the largest footprints. if not the largest footprint of any Division One conference in the United States, so. The who's and what's and wins and where's. You get to travel all over the country and, and get players from all over the country um, to compete in a very competitive league that, while uh, it's been top heavy in the last five or six years, I mean, gosh, there's just been teams from all over the place. We've seen Portland State win, win it. We've seen Southern Utah win it twice. I mean, it is, there is parity in the league. Uh, there always has been. I think there always will be. But right now, the Blue Bloods of Montana, Montana State, and the Weber and Eastern are, are sitting up top with UC Davis, you know right in the rear view of all those teams looking really strong. Uh, So I really like what what the conference has as far as the prospects for a good season. And we'll see who kind of rises to the top as far as there's going to be some teams that make some noise. Uh, There's going to be some teams that get some big losses. uh, And who can kind of
3: stay healthy and persevere through a a, a tough uh, conference schedule.
0: It is interesting because since the expansion of the league in 2012 – The teams that have not won Big Sky Conference championships include Idaho, Idaho State, Montana. That's surprising just to list off those three um, flagship members of the conference. Northern Arizona, Northern Colorado. That's it. That's all. Everybody else has had at least a share of a Big Sky title, whether it's Portland State, Southern Utah, Sac State, UC Davis, Cal Poly, North Dakota, Montana State several times, Eastern Washington a bunch of times, Weber State a bunch of times. So, more of a testament to the unbalanced schedule than anything else in the league. And I think that that's another reason why there's such this fear factor for the return of Bobby Houck, because when Coach Houck was winning Big Sky titles, there was nine teams in the league, and the Grizzlies were going 8-0 against those teams year after year after year. They, in fact, went undefeated three times in four years, and the other season a 7-1 year. So that's probably part of the... uh, I guess fear is probably the wrong word. But uh, there's definitely some people in the league know that uh, Coach Houck's back. Uh, Bo Baldwin, Cal Poly was on the show yesterday. Nuana's now, uh, my daily talk show. And a lot of reverence, a lot of respect for Coach Houck. But you could also see there was a little bit of uh, hesitancy because there's a little bit of fear there for sure. But uh, it is interesting because I do think that the league went through a massive time of tumult. And that opened the door for so many programs to ascend. And I think that when we, Bobby Houck first got the job at Montana, he made the statement that the only thing that's different about the big sky is Montana's not sitting on top. And I think there's some nuance to that statement being sort of false, but there's also a lot of validity to it being true. And so I just I think that the way that the league has evolved, and now it seems as if – I guess what I'm saying is it seems like it's coming full circle and the team's – that should be good, and that's not to demean anybody else. But the teams that put the most resources, the teams that have the most tradition, the teams that try the hardest to be good, seem to be the teams that have the chance to be the best teams in the league this year.
2: Yeah, except Idaho. <laughs> 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 we try right. to be as objective okay, so as possible. Done. I
0: don't know why, but it's just it's just so funny to make fun of Idaho. I don't know why. Well,
2: it's because it's that they. Um, in, in, in most respects, whether it's men's and women's basketball, the last three or four years, the men's and women's basketball has been, not men's, but, I mean, during those Vic Sanders years, I mean, there was some elite, some of the best college teams I have ever seen were at Idaho on the men's and women's side, especially the women. I mean, goodness gracious, they were good. And Idaho is very proud of that. And I think they, they, a lot of what their, um, their outside and public demeanor uh, and their and their fandom, they think it's spread across the sports evenly, and um, they've been really bad at football. We'll leave it at that. Uh, the the premier schools, the Montana Montana State, we always talk about on the national level, and when you talk about seeding and FCS playoffs, it's my favorite part of of division one double a fcs football is there's a 16 team playoff it's just the most fantastic the fbs is finally realizing it's going to have to go that direction just because there have been so many upstart cinderella programs that have got undefeated and get to the 15th in the country and they don't even get a chance to play in a real ball game you know you think of the UCFs of the world and teams that <clears throat> buffaloes of the world teams that actually put together a good uh good non-conference schedules they win their league they have no chance to play in a playoff well the fcs is a little different now why it's still been top heavy when you look at the big side conference the the proper seating and the national picture of it it goes hand in hand with if montana montana state are on top of the big side conference and are in the playoffs getting seated properly kind of in that top 10 sometimes getting buys whoever wins the league weber has fallen into that Category or has taken that category. We talk about a lot how weaver is king until they are uncrowned uh, in the Big Sky Conference, but they have been seeded correctly and then gone on to po- perform po- poorly in the in the in the national uh, playoffs. So while Weaver's had some great seasons, I don't mean it to demean that. Call it a poor season by any stretch of the imagination. They have lost in the quarterfinals several different times, uh, and that. That kind of puts the big sky, well, if Weber's winning it, Weber can't do much in the playoffs, then what does that look like nationally? I think with Montana and Montana State, they get the, the benefit of the doubt to get seated properly, and then you have the home field advantage in the FCS playoffs, uh, not neutral site, bowl style. You're playing at someone's home, home field, which is a huge advantage for these schools that put together such amazing um, game day experiences and home field advantage like Montana and Montana State do. So it is vitally important for the league uh, and for the national picture of the FCS in general.
0: There's just an element of brand name recognition as well, right? I mean, when Southern Utah had a team with six NFL guys and they ran the table in the league, they got sent on the road and they had to go play at Sam Houston State in the first round of the playoffs. Whereas, big testament to Weber, because the only schools that really had national brand name recognition in the big sky during the early 2000s into the the 2010s was Montana, Montana State, Eastern Washington. And Weber has gotten that brand name recognition in terms of when they do win the league, they are going to get a seed. They are going to get home games. To be fair, they did make the semifinals in 2019. Uh, The win that got them there was a win over Montana in the quarterfinals on a rainy night in Ogden, Utah. And who knows how that game would have gone differently if Dalton Snead doesn't throw five picks, if the weather's not so bad. But what it could have should have, Weber won that game, and so they were in the Final Four. But they have left something to be desired uh, just in terms of being a true national title threat. There's a big difference between your ceiling being a quarterfinal, semifinal team, and your ceiling being an actual national championship team. And that's what's been eluding the Big Sky for 10 years. And so I, I just wonder I, – I, here's my question for you, Brooks. Right now, the last couple of years, the Big Sky Conference has gotten four teams in the playoffs. That's, that's the most that they've ever – there's never been more than four teams in the playoffs. I think it's happened three or four times in the league's history. But the last – season 2019 all four of those teams were also seeded teams that's a great testament to the league and the depth of the league and the national nationally elite talent in the league but it's my opinion that it also holds the league back because since there are four of the top eight teams in the country that also means there's none of the top three so what do you think of just maybe the way that the the depth of the league takes away from actually having a true alpha dog team that could actually win the national championship
2: yeah, I think that's probably a good point. Um, you know, I think we cannibalize a lot of things that are, that are similar in sports, you know, things, whether you're in the same division, whether you're in the same state, whether, you know, how that looks like what the same conference looks like. Oftentimes we don't really, we can't imagine there being six teams from one league. So we can't imagine there only being one team from a, from a good league, quote unquote. Uh, so I do think that that's probably happened a little bit of you know, eating away at each other's pedigree, if you will. So, the depth of the league, like we mentioned, it's a big conference, especially since expansion. While that has shrunk down a tiny bit, there still is an unbalanced schedule, as you mentioned. So the strength of schedule is a little bit variable between these teams. You know, you can get away in the conference and not play Eastern and Weber in, in a season, which is you know tough for what it looks like on the national picture when a team in the same league did play Weber and Eastern and maybe beat them both or split with them. What do those two losses look like if you lose to Eastern Weaver Weber versus the team that doesn't have those two losses that didn't play them? How do you balance that? That is hard, especially for, uh, you know, it's not the now that that, now that the big sky is on ESPN and ESPN uh, plus, which is a huge addition. And you'll I think they'll get a little bit more national exposure as far as people who vote on this stuff. People who look into this stuff can, can go watch those games so darn easily without having to find, you know, blurry streams or, uh, you know, finding the, the the local network that you can't tap into. So hopefully that helps the Big Sky as far as uh, you know national writers and voters should need to see more Big Sky football. But as you mentioned, when it's such a big league and there's there's so much parity, it's hard to really judge on who's good, who's not, especially week in week out when when the when the league standings are kind of you know shaking up every single week.
0: Big Sky breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks to Blackfoot for all of their investment in our podcasting dreams. We have all sorts of podcasts rolling and Blackfoot is a part of each and every one of them. Whether it's Big Sky Breakdown right here or Nuwana's Now, the podcast of my daily radio show or Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champion Grizzlies or Catching Up with the Cats, our new podcast series, chronicling some of the best players I've covered during my 11 seasons covering MSU. Blackfoot Communications, a part of all of those podcasting endeavors Brooks, before we get into some of the strength of schedule stuff, because I do think that's an interesting analysis, and I did a a breakdown before the season, and uh, I think that it still holds pretty darn true in terms of strength of schedule for each of the teams, especially the contenders. But you mentioned the ESPN deal, and it's already paying fruition. Not only are the games significantly more accessible and better quality, but Montana, Eastern Washington next Saturday, and Cheney, I know both these teams have uh, warm-up fights, so to speak. Montana hosts Cal Poly this weekend, and uh, Eastern Washington goes on the road to play a struggling Southern Utah squad that uh, just had to eke out a win over a Division II Tarlington State last week. But, Brooks, what do you think of just this opportunity? Because, to me, I think that Eastern and Montana have been two of the better teams in the region, period, uh, so far in this young season. The fact that Montana won at Washington – Gives them a chance to now really make waves in the evergreen state. If they could knock off Eastern Washington as well, they're basically going to be the Kings of Washington if they win this game, especially with it on national TV. But for Eastern, a display of uh, their red turf and maybe a chance for resurgence for them, not only from a football standpoint, but also just an overall exposure standpoint. So what do you think of this opportunity for these two schools?
2: That's huge, man. I mean, yeah, a lot of times in, in the FCS, you, you need a premier player. If you don't have a premier program, which not say Eastern does not, as Eastern has won a national championship in 2010 has been to a national championship in 2018, um, I believe that, that that premier face of your program player like Eric Berry, can put a team on, on the map in more ways than you could ever imagine, especially at this level. Uh, he's an electric player, so the fact that they get him on national TV, it makes all the sense in the world. And then Montana, it, there's there's so much of this familiarity. There's almost like nostalgia. When you watch Montana right now, it feels so much like it did in, in Bobby Huck's first go around in his first tenure. So I think that that is not only appealing to Montana and the big side conference, but it's also appealing to a national audience that really does understand Montana football. Uh, you know, it's not maybe it's not quite as big as Alabama, we'll call it, but this is still a thing that people know the pride tradition of Montana football has been longstanding standing especially over the last 25 years, let alone all the way back into the eighties and nineties, and uh, with some really successful teams with players that have grown on to do very, you know, have successful careers within football. You think the Dave Dickinson's of the world, let alone all of the NFL players that Montana churned out in the early and mid 2000s, uh, very positive for these teams to get national exposure and the opportunity is huge. You know, I mean, as you mentioned, the Grizz go ahead and beat Eastern. I mean, I don't see how they don't jump up in the, they're sitting right now number four in the poll. Sam Houston's on top coming off the national championship you look at the James Madison, South Dakota State of the Worlds, I mean, after Montana beats the number 16 in the country in Eastern and beats Washington, the number 20, was it 20 or 22 team in the country? In the Yes. I mean, you got to start, yeah, number 20. I think you start got to start leaning on the Grizz, maybe jumping up in that pole, getting into that top three there, um, and then see what happens, you know. Sam Houston's going to have a ride of their lives coming off the national championship. South Dakota State is a premier program in the FCS and and one that has you know, taken strides to to try to match and keep up with North Dakota State. So I, I think it's huge for both teams. Whoever wins this, I think takes the most of the momentum that um, that they possibly could in, in, into the league. Um, you know, just start kind of kick off league standing, especially early in the season like that.
0: We'll talk a little scheduling real quick. I broke down the schedules. Based on preseason voting, so in other words, if you play Weber State, that's worth 13 points because they were the number one team in the league. And on down the line, uh, in terms of the preseason poll, Montana's worth 12, Montana State, Eastern Washington's worth 11, Montana State's worth 10, and on down the line based on where they were picked. And I think that even though there might be some delineation between those top four teams, those are still the ones that are worth the most points. When you look at the strength of schedules from easiest to hardest, Sacramento State. As the easiest schedule. Sac State has to play at Montana, but they do not play Montana State. They do not play Weber State. They do not play Eastern. Weber State hosts Montana State, but they do not play Montana. They do not play Sacramento State, and they do not play Eastern Washington. So those two have the easiest schedules. Montana, I had them sitting there at the fourth easiest schedule because they do uh, play Montana State, of course, on November 20th, uh, but they also – uh, get Sacramento State at home and they don't have to play Weber so the one game that is the uh, the big game is, is at Eastern Washington next weekend that game we're talking about on ESPN too uh, so there's a lot of uh, there's there is some obstacles on the schedule for the Grizz I think the Bobcats have the hardest of the contenders schedules because they have to play at Weber State they have to play at Eastern Washington and they have to play at Montana so that's definitely a murderer's row there Okay, we can pause. So the one interesting part, though, about the scheduling is you talk about who does play who in terms of the top contenders. But the other thing worth noting is that Cal Poly, who I think that everybody in the league thinks is going to be one of the teams towards the bottom of the standings, has to play Montana, Weber State, Montana State. The other team that I think that most people agree are going to be toward the bottom of the standings is Northern Colorado. And they also have to play Montana State, Eastern Washington, Montana, Sac State, and Weber State, So, and UC Davis. So uh, some of the better teams in the league also get, objectively, some of the not as competitive teams in the league. So I don't think you can mince and say, usually there's two arguments here with this unbalanced schedule, right? You didn't have to play Montana. You didn't have to play Weber. But also sometimes the argument is you got to play Southern Utah or Northern Colorado or Cal Poly when those teams are in down years, and we didn't. But this year, the contenders get to play all the bad teams, so I think that eliminates at least one of the two scrutinies for this unbalanced schedule.
2: Yeah, it certainly happens. But, I mean, in the big sky, man, there is definitely the bottom, let's call it two or three teams. Maybe even sometimes it's just one team that is a rollover game. But otherwise, it's still a high level of Division One football. I don't think that there, any of them are necessarily gimmies. I mean, when there's a really, really good team, Montana and Montana State are both really talented this year. There's no doubt about that when you look at teams like that middle of the middle attack with the Portland States of the world, they could lose to the bottom of the last team in, in the conference They could also beat the top team in the conference. So I don't think there's any rollover games. I do think the strength of schedule, especially in the big league, matters. Uh, but overall, the top four teams are definitely a little bit weighted this year. We'll see how the bottom looks because the Southern Utah struggled immensely in the last handful of years. We'll see what that looks like. Maybe that's the one team. But otherwise, I mean, I didn't think Northern Arizona would be that good this year. They just got an FBS win against Arizona. You know, I didn't think Idaho State would be all that good this year. They've looked good. When I watched them get North Dakota, they, they held on tight for, uh, you know, a team, a North Dakota team that was very, very strong. So we'll see what that all shakes out like. The Cal Polys of the world, um, you know, with, with a guy like Bo Baldwin at the helm, you got to imagine that they'll put up some points. Um, Let alone if they are play any defense, we'll see. But, um, you know, the strength of the schedule is very interesting, especially at top.
0: Your impression of the Big Sky's non-conference, four uh, FBS victories – Eastern Washington went to UNLV and won in double overtime. UC Davis went on the road and beat Tulsa by a couple points. Montana knocked off Washington in Seattle. And then you mentioned 21 19. Northern Arizona defeats Arizona this past weekend. There's two sides to this. Great performance by the big sky. Also, especially in terms of that most recent win, not to take anything away from Northern Arizona, but man, Arizona looked bad. I also thought UNLV did not look very good either. I don't really know if either of those teams would even come close to competing for the Big Sky title. So, you know, I'm not here to be all negative about it, though. I mean, what do you think of just the way the Big Sky performed? I think there's a maybe a correlation with the way that the playing field's been leveled, at least right now, uh, given what uh, this the unorthodox nature of the last two years.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I thought it was impressive performance. And you talk about those FBS schools, and of course, you know, Arizona looked down, UNLV looked down, but and they have, you know, they have 85 scholarships, which is a whole lot more than what the FCS gets at about 65. They also are at home, which means that every single scholarship, Division One, FBS scholarship player is dressed for those games, where the FCS is traveling about 55, I think up to 63 or, or 62. I can't remember the number of travel. So you're looking at, you know, the amount of depth is just amazing. The amount of top-end talent is definitely going to be different, especially in a place like Washington. I mean, gosh. They have, they had six five-star recruits, they had twenty-two four-star recruits. I mean, they have the number two defensive tackle in the country, who was the uh, California Defensive Player of the Year, at De La Salle. You know, he had twenty sacks. He's 330 pounds. Plays D tackle. You know, the Grizz were able to deal with it. Um, and some impressive wins. You know, the Grizz are definitely going to be the headliners there uh, with the Pac-12 win, especially regionally uh, with UW at, on the on the, the high note that they've been on. You know, last year, it's hard to say, but. Under the Chris Peterson era, you know, a team that went to the, to the FCS or the FBS playoff, um, a team that has currently uh, been competing for Pac-10, Pac-12 titles. So, the, the Grizz are going to be the headliners there. Impressive non-conference, uh, I, I kind of across the country. There was a couple other wins as well in um, the FCS ranks. So, pretty cool.
0: Big breakdown presented in part by Alpine Touch. Visit alpinetouch.com for all of your spice needs. Alpine Touch is awesome, man. I love getting the Grand Slam. You get a little of the uh, all-purpose. You use on your steaks, your burgers, and your tacos, whatever. The pepper blend, money, especially on your fried eggs in the morning. That garlic, uh, the garlic pepper blend that they got, mm, that's pretty good, too. Put that in my spaghetti sauce. Sometimes do that in a little bit of chicken, especially if you're baking your chicken, a little Italian-style chicken. They got barbecue sauce. They got sunflower seeds. No matter what you got cooking on the grill, Alpine Touch, your go-to Alpine Touch, Montana special spice. Head on over to alpinetouch.com right now for your chance to order. Perfect for tailgates, too, because I know most of the people listening to this, they're going to be tailgating hard this weekend. Brooks, let's talk about that. Uh, Good to be back at Bobcat Stadium last weekend. Bobcat fans do it right, man, especially with the tailgates. they got amongst the best tailgate spreads you'll find anywhere, period. And uh, fun seeing everybody outside Bobcat Stadium, in Bobcat Stadium. Not much of a football game. Montana State just kicked the shit out of a hapless San Diego team. I was texting you during the second quarter. I was saying, "Oh, buddy, these San Diego boys can want to go home because it was so clear." I mean, it was amongst the most clear games I've ever seen in terms of the physical mismatches. Like you could tell, San Diego was well coached and that they were going to kind of know what they were doing, but they just had literally no chance to stay uh, hand, to handle Montana State physically. So, um, I don't really know. What you can take from it, what I take from it, is the Bobcats looked fearsome. Uh, They looked really, really good execution-wise. And even if you are playing an overmatched opponent, that's what you want. You want it to be clean. You want to be in and out. uh, And you want to dominate as much as you possibly can. And they did. They were up 42-0 on the first possession of the second half. And everybody was out of there. No more Troy Anderson. No more Ronda Williams. No more Chase Benson. No more Isaiah Fonse. So pretty much all you can ask for from your last non-conference tune-up. But just your thoughts on... All the variety of things the Bobcats showed last week.
2: Yeah, it was interesting, man. They did a bunch of different stuff. You know, I asked Brent Deegan about kind uh, of getting to different corners of the playbook, and he he wasn't very transparent about it. He said that they, they used the plays that they thought would beat San Diego, which was you know quite the answer. He's an electrifying guy. The um, the overall idea of of playing a tune-up game or playing a, a like opponent, which usually uh, you know San Diego in the Pioneer League and SCS school. Would fit that bill. Just a down year for them. Clearly, you know, after coming out, Drake, who's in the same league, who seemed a little bit more uh, physically uh, equal to Montana State, even though it was nowhere equal, but there was a little bit more even. Um, San Diego definitely sh- struggled from the open. Um, just, just a down year uh, for the Toreros, and, and you could tell, as you mentioned, well coached, but Montana State, a lot of quarterback run game. Um, you know, some more deep shots. You know, anyone who's listening, who's probably also noticed that they. If there's a change of possession, they're taking a shot, you know, every single time. All, some, some of their, I think all five of their biggest passing plays this year have all come off a change of possession. First play um, after a punt, first play after a turnover, they're throwing that thing deep oftentimes to Lance McCutcheon um, with some success. They, they found some uh, against San Diego as well. Still, you know, ran the ball, get Matt McKay and, and a little bit of, you know, that RPO look to, uh, Push that onto a defense and open up some running lanes, but Isaiah Vontae still wasn't necessarily what we would consider him to be. The last two two seasons, um, he was not you know, bursting through huge gaps and 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 and, and making people miss and, and, and breaking tackles. You know, of course, all of that stuff you know was a part of the game. He did have his very very long run, uh, which he did break and hurdle a guy, uh, broke a tackle on that play. But there's times we saw against the same half against Wyoming where. Where he's the kind of guy that can break four or five tackles on one on one play. That wasn't necessarily the mold of this game, but I think it was more of a get in, get out, as you mentioned. Um, stay healthy, and I, I that there was some improvements shown, especially with. Dead spot is like a vortex. So
0: I've been doing broadcasting life. in some capacity, you know, either as a contributor or as a you know, full-time co-host or, or host in general. Uh, for a while now, I mean, ever since I got back into newspapers back in, I got back into Montana, excuse me, with a gig in newspapers, I was doing radio hits pretty often, but uh, forever in radio. You always want there to be a little gray area. You always want to, you don't want people to know if stuff's pre recorded. You want it to sound live all the time because you want to be live all the time. Well, new rule the FCC says you have to tell people when you're pre recording stuff or when they are listening to a previously recorded interview. It's not live. I don't know if that applies to podcasts or not, but I've been pretty much just going all in. I think everybody out there understands that the world's evolved. It's been crazy. Uh, weird to see how it's all gone. But Brooks and I are recording this as he drives uh, for his uh, day job, as, it's, as it were, uh, to down to the Yellowstone Park. So uh, sometimes we get a little get glitch, and uh, that's okay. So we'll just uh, kind of get back in and start uh, where we left off. Uh, Brooks, uh, one more question. I'm on Montana State as they head to Portland State this weekend. What did you think of just the diversity of what Montana State showed last week? and Is that part of a strategy? I mean, do you think that they showed more in terms of pressures, offensive play calling, uh, the reads they were making in their offense, to try to put that stuff on film and, and sort of give Bruce Barnum and his Portland State Vikings more to work on?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that was probably the clear message was, uh, you know, kind of just roll out some new things and, and, and make Portland State have a heck of a prep week, you know, all of a sudden, got eight new pressures and five new pass plays, uh, three tr- kind of trick plays. They call it the pipe play the, uh Elijah Elliott. Got a Tim Tebow jump pass, but from midfield. So all sorts of things that kind of create when we see this look, we need to call alert for this play that we've seen on film, and probably they'll run absolutely none of that stuff. State, you know, probably some of the pressures, but offensively, um, some of those pass plays, they'll probably run you know, a whole slew of new ones. And that's kind of the fun part about college football. I've been meaning to ask uh, Coach Vegan about that. Or the aspect of, I think in the early 2000s, a lot of coaches had a playbook, let's call it, with 170 plays. And they would implement their base stuff, let's call it offensively, in the first, you know, two weeks of fall camp. They'd then go to Tier 2, which would be a little bit more advanced stuff. And then they'd go to Tier 3, kind of in their – Red zone third down or advanced. Each week they kind of at that point, you know, you have about fifty percent, maybe sixty percent of, of the offensive coordinator's playbook in. And at that point, each week you kinda of add five, six, seven new plays, sometimes similar plays, just new formations. Um, and you kind of build up until the end of the year when you kind of have a diversity of you could call a formation and a play that you've never run that play out of that formation, but everyone kind of speaks that language. I'm interested to see because now in this new age, I want a, a guy like Taylor Houserat, right, who is so young in his first offensive coordinator experience, same with Freddie Banks in his first time as being a defensive coordinator, are these guys adding stuff to their repertoire, to their playbook, that they've never run or never thought of week to week? When, when Coach Vegan says that we're running stuff to beat San Diego, well, do they look at San Diego, see some stuff, and say, well, we got to draw up some new stuff that we to implement. I'd love to know the difference because I know old-school coordinators have their stuff and not really adding to it. The new school guys, um, you know, they are adding week to week is what I kind of think. And I, I wonder if that's what Montana State's doing. Um, the diversity of plays as far as those shot plays I mentioned, kind of the, the, the drawing to the field on a uh, little six to seven yard hook routes, little six, six to seven yard kind of in routes, that kind of seems to be a staple of the offense that wasn't quite new. But offensively, the RPO game was, was quite new as far as it's, it's consistency and the kind of the prevalence that they ran it in uh, and putting that decay in, in the quarterback run game. That was what was going to probably give Portland State fits on trying to prepare for, um, especially if Montana State continues to lean on that, which, you know, we'll see during conference play, but I keep the quarterback healthy um, if they if they will do so.
0: Big shot breakdown, Brooks Nuñez. I think it's also interesting that Montana State is clearly running a system offensively. What do I mean by that? They're calling concepts. It's very similar. I mean, it's not surprising because Taylor Housewright spent the last year at Oregon, and then he spent the year before that at Mississippi State. So he's been around guys that run concept-based offenses. So, like, for example, Elijah Elliott's long touchdown last week against San Diego. That was a play-action run-pass option where the run option was a quarterback keep, but then you could pass multiple areas, including dumping down into the flat. And Matt McKay pressed the line, and then dumped to Elliott the C's part, bam, 65-yard touchdown. But it's all dependent on the quarterback making the read. And I think that's where Matt McKay, even though his, his statistics have not been spectacular, he's been solid, but he's been flawless in terms of making the right read. He's making the right read about 85% of the time. He's completing almost 75% of his passes. So I think it's an interesting evolution uh, as the Bobcats Head to Portland State. Uh, one last thought on this game, Brooks, and then we'll talk just briefly about the Montana game uh, as well. But I mean, what do you what do you expect? Because I think that we're both higher on Portland State than a lot of people. But Montana State, even though they haven't had that tough of tests the last two weeks, to me they look damn good. So especially defensively. So what do you think of this game in Portland on Saturday?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I we got to see Portland State in Missoula during the spring uh, during one of the Montana Grizzlies' two games. Um, And they, I think, I believe it was all five offensive line starters were out. Uh, It was a tough day for Portland State. They did not look very good. So, you know, you assume that they will have improved or at least got healthy compared to that week that we got to see them in the spring. Um, But overall, I mean, I I do think Montana State's darn good. I think they're beyond a top-10 team in the country, um, especially talent-wise. I don't think that they've run the ball all you know, overwhelmingly well. Though San Diego did look better, but they, they're not the ground the pound team that they have been the last, you know, four seasons under Jeff Cho. Uh, Coach Brent Negan talked about how they have two freshman starters on the offensive line and TJ Sessions and Justice Perkins. And, and that is, you know, I, I do see that being an influence in that. But when I said they haven't run the ball like, like they have, they still have run the ball well. And when I say, you know, Matt, you said Matt McKay has that all-worldly statistically, well, he's still played really darn well. Um, so, if they do continue to improve, or they, if they let's say they do run the ball overwhelmingly well, I mean, good look out because you're going to get steamrolled. Um, they have not blown the doors off of any of their own expectations or their own kind of ceiling, um, and still they have one handedly. And, and I think we would all agree, I think they played outplayed Wyoming. And I think that was a game that they very well could have won, um, or maybe even should have won. So, all that being said, if you add that Wyoming win, They're probably ranked, you know, number five or six in the country. Um, And you'd look at this game and
0: touch more outside than it probably already is going to be. Sorry about the Grizz. You've watched them on TV. You haven't seen them live and in person since last April when they played Portland State. You have not seen this iteration of the Grizz live. You are on your way to Missoula for homecoming. Cal Poly coming to town. I honestly, you know, I don't ever want to say I feel bad for a team, but uh, Bo Baldwin and the Cal Poly Mustangs got their hands full because Montana is going to let it rip on Saturday. And Cal Poly, they're down their starting quarterback. They're a team that's coming off of a couple blowout losses, most recently to South Dakota this last week, 48-14. And it seems like they're about to encounter a buzzsaw in Missoula. Uh, What do you think about your opportunity to see the Grizz live and in person for the first time in a long time?
2: Yeah, man, I mean, they <laughs> luckily the way that they, the schedule, the timing worked out, I got to watch against Washington the whole entire game, which was, wow, it was a lot of fun. You know, uh, got to see a team play with a lot of urgency and a lot of effort. Uh, we talked about kind of, you know, the nostalgic feeling of, of a New were party on the pile on the way to, you know, multiple back-to-back national championships in the mid-2000s. Um, it felt a lot like that in, in the sense of, of uh, the whole program being on the same page as far as, what it takes to win big set cover title, what it takes to win, you know, get into the playoffs and and push the envelope there. So a lot of talent, man. And some guys have improved, and that's always a fun part of college football is when you guys get to see guys stick around. Um, You know, redshirt redshirt sophomores turn into redshirt juniors who have improved a ton. Uh, Cam Humphrey looked like, you know, at the quarterback position, looked like he's improved quite a bit. The running game will be interesting with some, several several of the mainstays. Uh, you know what the depth chart looked like in, in June or July is a whole lot different now. Uh, with a couple of freshmen carrying the football um, up front, both sides of the ball, and they look darn impressive. And I mentioned earlier on this podcast, you know, the ESPN Plus thing has been fun because I got to you know have my earbuds in and listen to you know the play-by-play of, of Western Illinois, as well as uh, you know check down the phone and watch that game uh, while watching the caps. So, that ESPN thing kind of adds a little bit of flair to my game day experience, which is quite fun. So, you know, I certainly look forward to it. It's a great, Riley Corcoran says, the mecca of FCS football. Uh, Washington Grizzly, when it's ripping, man, it's it's a special experience. I think anyone on any side of the state, let alone the country, would, would have to agree with that. So, you know, I always look forward to it. You get chills that first couple plays when that place is, you know, it's literally shaking. It's hard to hold the camera still.
0: Well, we'll be there. Live and in person. Can't wait. Could talk about this stuff forever. I will keep talking about it, so check back. Have at least three and sometimes me as five Big Sky Breakdowns for you every week right here at SkylineSportsMT.com. Brooks, appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you soon. Looking forward to seeing you on Saturday. Yeah,
2: homecoming,
4: man. I'm kind of fun. I'll see you then.
0: Big Sky Breakdown rolls on. You can always find the Big Sky Breakdown, MT.com, as well as all your various podcast hosting platforms. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Big Sky Breakdown brought to you by Blackfoot Communications as well as Alpine Touch. Next guest up here on the Big Sky Breakdown, we're going to try to do this as often as we can. One of my good friends and a guy that knows a ton about football, particularly Big Sky Conference football, it's Ty Greger at Coach Ty, what's up, dude? How you living?
2: Culture? how you doing, man? Life is great. Thanks for hollering
0: at me. Of course, man. We always love to keep you involved. I know you this uh, Big Sky Conference and both Montana, Montana State, special place in your heart as, you, as you've coached at both schools. And I know you follow it still quite a bit. So before we get into the, the now and here and now, the, the present, let's talk about the past. Big Sky Conference play opens up this weekend. But when, when you were coaching, how do you remember things being different just leading up to your first conference games?
2: Well, you know I You know, Coulter. I was listening to somebody on ESPNU today that was talking about it's almost too bad that the polls and the rankings don't come out about this time every year as opposed to the the preseason because you sit and you you look at some of these teams and we'll just, you know, we'll stay in our own little universe here with the big sky. You look at some of these teams and what they've done in the first three weeks uh, and you go, dang, I mean, they're awfully good or we thought they were going to be really good and they're just okay. Or boy, um, there was a lot of hype and they're really not very good. You know, so it's been an unbelievable few weeks at all levels. Uh, I mean, football, it's fun for me because I'm just i I'm just a fan now. The only coaching I do is the kindergarten first grade Buccaneers here in Bozeman. Um, but some unbelievable games. I mean, starting with Eastern uh, knocking off UNLV and I, I know UNLV is not very good, but you know, they're still playing up and, to get that fourth down stop there at the end was what a way to win uh, a football game. And then, you know, I mean, I think, I think, and you've said it on your show. I mean, it's probably one of the biggest wins, if not, I mean, it's tough to take away from two national championships, but outside of those, you know, and maybe that James Madison game, Appalachian state was a lot of fun. I mean, there's been so many big games in, in the history of, montana football but boy that was cool to see and and you know why it was cool though too on a on a personal level to see guys like coach hauck get to go back to a place where he had once worked and recruited and and gave so much to and got you know kent bear who you know (laughs) there was a lot of washington fans back in in his tenure that you know would have loved to have seen him take a walk and you know for those guys to go in there you know tim Rosenbaum, who had some great games against those guys and you know you can go down the line i mean just really neat to see a game like that. And, and then, you know, NAU who think like you said in one of your shows here in the last couple of weeks, you know, you, you didn't know if they'd win maybe two or three conference games and then to go to Tucson and, uh, you know, bear down, I guess, say uh, Arizona, Arizona must be really bad. I mean, to have, to have two wins over power five teams and, and what is it? Four or five wins against FBS schools is pretty awesome for the conference just as a whole going into week one of conference play.
0: One thing that I find fascinating is before the season, 18 wins over FBS opponents by Big Sky teams. Four of those were Montana beating Idaho as part of home and homes. And, you know, you could say whatever you want about the Vandals, but it wasn't that unlike opponents. And those Montana teams were so good and those Idaho teams were not. And some of those games were being played in Missoula. So, you know, know, it is what it is. But um, I also think, though, The upset of an FBS squad is not necessarily a predictor of future successes. Once you get into Big Sky Conference play, Eastern Washington had a couple FBS wins that certainly did then lead to great seasons. But we've seen Sac State post a couple FBS wins. We've seen Idaho State go into Nevada and win. And then those teams didn't really do much during the regular season. So I shouldn't say the regular season, the conference season. So it is a nice feather in the cap. But now with the Big Sky Conference play opening, the work starts now, right?
2: yeah absolutely and I, I think i think you know like one of the questions you asked coach baldwin yesterday is how has the league changed the 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 you know back back we'll call, you know we'll say 2000 2010 it was going to be montana and you know whoever else you know may, maybe that year could could have a nice run and then in 2010 eastern really it became kind of eastern show montana obviously we had some good teams in 11 and, and you know 13 14 and some other sense obviously since coach hawk's been back but you know, I think the league as a whole, man. I mean, you just sit there and you look at Eastern and Weber and Davis and the two schools in our state, and and uh, NAU goes down and knocks off Arizona, and, and I mean they got pummeled a couple weeks prior, you know. And Sac State goes and and and, and you know, I mean people forget about Sac State. They're still the defending or co, you know, you co, know co-champs with Weber, and they've got a good outfit and they're well coached on both sides of the ball. They go and show mostly pretty well against Cal, you know. I still think coach Fennessey does a great job at Idaho State. I know they're they're looking for their first win and but I mean, you just look at the league as a whole. Man, there's some good coaches, some good players uh, and I think the rest of the country's taken note, you know. It's been you know, it's been such a Missouri Valley, you know, w- w- seemingly Missouri Valley stronghold just in terms of the conference as a whole. But, man, I think the big sky to have five teams in the top 15, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, but five teams in the top 15, and I know it's early, but it just kind of shows you how good the league has gotten from top to, I don't want to say bottom, but top to that, you know, that first half of the league is really good.
0: Well, there's just so much more relevancy, too. I'm not sitting here trying to demean anybody that used to be a leading one of these programs in the yeah. league, but make no mistake, Jay Hill's the greatest coach Weber State's ever had. Troy Taylor yeah. is among if not already, one of the great, if not the greatest coaches Sacramento State's ever had. Dan Hawkins, back at his alma mater, one of the best coaches UC Davis, if not the best coach UC Davis has ever had. You know, Rob Fennessey. Yeah. I know Mike Kramer I uh, got a roll a little bit of Idaho State. He did a pretty good job, but I mean, Fennessey is a significant upgrade from several of the coaches that Idaho State had yeah. 10, 15 years ago and on down the line. So I think that that's Another element of it. It just seems like the coaching in this league is as good as it's ever been.
2: I agree. I mean, I can't agree more. I just, you sit there and you look at it and you just go. And again, I, you know, I've heard on your show recently, I mean, Jay Hill, I mean, he's, his name is thrown around for jobs every year. He will move up eventually. I mean, the job he's done at Weber and, you know, something that Coach Baldwin said, uh, whether it was yesterday or two days ago, I think it was yesterday on your show the commitment that a lot of these schools have made is also dramatically changed and you can see that even in our own state where where these two two schools have had a fantastic fan base forever you can see the schools really finally investing back in the football football is like given 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 and they've taken 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 and now they're finally given back with the champion center in missoula and the new facility here and getting some training table stuff going and just, you know, take taking care of football because if football's good, you and I, you and I both know if football is good at that school, enrollment's up, life is good. Business is booming. Uh, the two to $5 million each community in our, in this state will bring in on any given home game weekend. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's been, it's been fun to watch. Uh, you know, and, and I get, like I said, I get to sit back and just kind of watch it all, but shoot. Weber's invested. They put in a facility. Davis, has, I guess, has put in an incredible facility. NAU. You forgot to mention Chris Ball. That guy's a ball coach. Coulter. He's a good coach. Now, I mean, I know. I know the first couple games they didn't show very well, but I'm telling you, when you go to a Pac-12 school, and I know that. I hope you and I get to talk about Pac-12 football because wow, it's atrocious on so many levels. But I'm telling you, it should never happen. I don't care how good Montana is. They should never walk into Montlake at, at Washington Stadium at not uh, uh, you know their, their Husky Stadium and win that game. I'm just telling you, it should never happen. They, uh, NAU from Flagstaff should never go down to the University of Arizona and win, but they are. and that just shows you how, how, uh, how far some of these programs have come.
0: It also maybe shows you how far some of the Pac-12 programs have fallen as well. I think there's a distinct dynamic oh. here that has to do with a lot of things that aren't involved with athletics and football that hurt some of the Pac-12 teams and that hurt some of the Mountain West teams too. I think that where you're located, what your state government is mandating, a lot of times that really hurts the way that these guys were able to train during the, the weird year and a half or whatever it was. And so, you know, I don't know. I think that there's definitely rising Big Sky programs, but I also think that you know, for whatever reason, the PAC 12 is sort of hanging by a thread right now.
2: No question. And I'm I'm not trying to take anything away from the big sky and what they've done so far. I'm really not. I'm just saying it's between the, the the sheer number of scholarships that, that the the next level has and all the bells and whistles and the way that, that these programs can train, even if you're in a place like California or some of these places that, that have been affected and, or not well, I mean, just population-wise, yeah, they have been affected differently. But some of the mandates that have been laid down, but man, it's uh, again, I'm not taking anything away from what the Big Sky has done to some of these schools. But I mean, for BYU, BYU's got three Pac-12 wins. That's impressive. I know BYU is a good school, but I mean, come on. I mean, it just it, it's it's crazy for me to think Colorado. Do you think do you think there's a few people down in the Boulder area that wish they would have paid Mel Tucker? Look at what Mel Tucker's doing at Michigan State, Coulter. I mean, Colorado is it, – it, it's so far gone that you just sit and you go – you rub your temples and go, you know, our, this, this up-and-coming generation doesn't even know the way things used to be at Colorado because they're just so bad. I mean, they, they, they you know, I, I, guess they, I guess they need teams from Greeley to come to town every weekend for them to score points because they haven't scored any since Northern Colorado. I'm sorry. I know I know I know they gave Texas AM a a good ball a good ball game. That was a tough game, but I mean they're still not scoring any points. I mean they, they scored Coulter, the University of Colorado had sixty-three total yards last week. Oh, sixty-three total yards against against Minnesota, who might finish maybe maybe between fourth and seventh in the in the Big Ten. Maybe. You know, when you look at what, what's going on in the Big Ten right now. So I think the FCS is I mean you shoot a few shows ago you and I talked about the the you, you know you had mentioned that college football is in one of its worst places and and there is some definite truth to that but man Coulter turn on some of these ball games on Saturdays you're going dang college football is back and it is it is pounding its chest going here we are that was a long year and a half and we're going to show out and, and our fans are going to show out and it's been really really fun to watch these last few weeks, in my in my opinion. The thing
0: that I worry about is, once upon a time, Coach Kramer, Mike Kramer, who, you know, when you get him going, sometimes he goes all the way off the rails, and he's giving you some crazy theories, but he once upon a time told me that the demise of football in the West, besides in the super rural places, would continue to accelerate forever, because life in the West is just so good, and you don't have these guys that are so hungry, that are willing to, I mean, literally do anything to, to help themselves, their families. They come from so much tougher backgrounds. It's not like growing up in Rancho Cucamonga. You're growing up in the middle of nowhere Mississippi with, you know, not a pot to piss in. So you wonder, I guess my biggest worry is that I think the college football, when you're talking about the SEC, some of the premier ACC schools, the Big Ten, it isn't a great spot. I just wonder, worry about the teams out west, particularly the Pac-12, no longer having a seat at the table because if they don't figure it out, right now it's Oregon carrying the flag for everybody. I still think Washington has a chance to be okay, pretty competitive. But everybody else, I mean, oh wow, that Arizona team's not even finishing sixth in the big sky. That's crazy.
2: It is crazy. And and we shouldn't Oregon's, – Oregon's a pretty good team. I mean, listen, they went to the horseshoe and won without probably one of the best, if not the best, defensive players in college football right now. They went to Ohio State and won. Yes, they had a tough outing against Fresno State. Yes, Fresno State's a good football team. I don't care who you are. When you knock off LSU the way UCLA did and kind of slug them around, make make no mistake about it, Colter, Fresno State's a good football team. They've always been. I know they haven't been as good as as some of those – uh, Coach Coach Hill teams back in the early to mid 2000s and earlier even before then I guess, um, but the, you know they've always kind of been one of those programs that you never really wanted to schedule because they would give you a, you know they they come in and fight you no matter where I mean that's what, that's always kind of been their their mantra any any time any place anywhere let's go you know so um, but I still think Oregon is a really good football team but you're right I mean I mean it was good to see you I mean USC Coach Helton. I mean, we went down there and, and uh, spent a few days with those guys my last spring at Montana State. And what a great group of dudes! I mean, Coach Helton was so awesome. He just kind of open, open the doors to us uh, on the defensive staff. And you know, it's I hate seeing a guy get whacked, especially after a couple ball games. <laughs> but I swear they, they've been try, they, They've look, They've been looking for any and all excuses to fire him for a long time. So, you know, I mean, they, he loses game. What was it? Game two to, to Stanford. Uh, I mean, which I know Stanford's not as strong as as some of their teams of of the last 10 years, but, you know, it's still a pack. It's not like they lost to an FCS program. They lost to a a conference team that you know is going to give you your best shot. But anyway, the Pac-12 is struggling. You're right. I mean, when you go out West, I mean, I know Oklahoma, Oklahoma is still strong. Texas is not. (laughs) It's always hype about Texas. I mean, you talk about you talk about kids and and coaches and stuff that uh, what you were just saying about being hungry and growing up with nothing and all that. You almost you almost look at a program like Texas and say, okay, maybe we shouldn't give them all so much, you know, <laughs> because they've done nothing, they've done nothing since uh, for what 10, 15 years now or whenever the Rose Bowl game was against SC. So anyway.
0: I mean, that's the whole thing, though. I, I, you know, because of the connections to Texas now, we know guys that are down there, including Jeff Chope, but also some other guys that have some crossover uh, in Montana and stuff like that. But, you know, so I, I've been following them on Twitter and stuff. And, I mean, my God, what we're, we're talking about, like, National championship level highlight videos, hype videos for getting right. off the bus. Like, let alone you know right. you beat Rice, you need a two and a half minute video right. for that. I just, I just don't think that's good for kids' brains.
2: No, it's not. It's not. I. I uh, that's why you almost. I mean, listen. I'm not going to say that Alabama doesn't have it all. And, and you and I both know that Coach Saban is probably a real challenge to work with. But I kind of you can't not not respect what they do down there because he is on them all the time. I mean, uh-huh. he, you know, we haven't even talked about Alabama. I mean, there's, <laughs> I mean, down in the South, though, I remember, I remember uh, it was Aaron Price, who was Mike Price's son, was telling me, he's like, they get hate mail in the mail, like at their home address, if they only won by three or four touchdowns, you know, and that's just the way it is down there. I mean, they they're, they're, there's people ca- calling for like firings or, or demotions because they had a, 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 because they had a, uh, you know, a, a heck of a, a, a duke, a duke out there down in, in in one of the toughest places in the country to play, by the way, against a very good Florida team, and they're, you know, they're calling for people's heads, and they still won, you know, where you just, you know, Texas, Texas has shown a two and a half uh, highlight video over Rice. Uh, sweet, a, a, a good, nice one. That's awesome
0: it's just hilarious it's maddening I just don't know about any of that stuff but you're right Saban deserves so much credit because I mean I know a couple guys that had an opportunity to go there and, and go on visits and you know, Dakota Prukop was at Montana State for a while you know he told me all about his visit at Alabama and his visit to Oregon too and he said hey <laughs> comes downtown was grad transferring Oregon told me hey you're the guy Alabama they said hey you can come in here and compete and prove to me that you could be the guy but Saban did not give him any opportunity to be the starter outright. And uh, You know, I think that's a difference in recruiting that helps you get different kind of kids. And I think when you get different kind of kids, it it definitely alters the way that everything operates. Like nobody's going to Alabama thinking about anything but proving their way. I mean, that's why you see less transfers out of Alabama than any other program in the country, too. Oh, it's
2: amazing. I mean, the. I, I don't know the statistics, and you, you probably at least would have an idea. The, their retention's unbelievable. Now, I mean, I, I know they're at Alabama, but you also know that that comes with some really, really tough love. And I mean, got two weeks ago, you know, leading up to was it Mercer? Remember they're playing? I mean, he's just dog-cussing them in front of the media. And then last week, he's questioning their, you know, the defensive intensity. And I'm sitting there going, you know, Florida's got some dudes now. They're a really, really good football team in the swamp. I don't know. I've never been there, but. It, it, I've heard it's no joke to go play, and yeah, they took a, they they got up what 21-3, and they came back and made it a game. But I mean, like I said, they've got like legitimate scholarship players too, and that guy's a really good coach. And but I, you know, you just you can't help not love the way he's like, not good enough, not good enough. And that's why I mean, Alabama's now hoisted what 18 national championships, and what is it, six or seven or eight now for Saban? It's it's phenomenal, phenomenal.
0: Ty Gregorak, joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Alpine Touch. It's tailgate season, so that means you need to make sure you're stocked up on all of what the masters of the grill at Alpine Touch have to offer. They also have a new savory barbecue sauce that goes perfect with any meat. And soon, Alpine Touch will be rolling out another edition of their chili lime seasoning, which is an awesome one. And they also have sunflower seeds now as well, so that's good for the tailgate. It's good for the game day. Hit up alpinetouch.com. For all of that inventory, and also turn into, tune into Nuanas now each week for your opportunity to win Alpine Touch. You can also swing by our pre game tailgate show on Saturday. Each Saturday, the Grizzlies are at home. We'll be giving away Alpine Touch as well, so come on by and see us there too. Tie a couple more things for you. Let's talk about the two teams from Montana, starting with the one here in Missoula. The Montana Grizzlies host Cal Poly. It's an objectively different Cal Poly team with one of the great coaches in the league's recent history at the helm in Bo Baldwin, but Uphill sledding for Cal Poly as they transition to Baldwin's single back spread offense compared to what they were running for 20 plus years as a triple option. And on the other side Montana, they come in with as much momentum as anybody in the country after destroying uh, Washington defensively and then destroying Western Illinois outright and then taking an early buy. So uh, just your thoughts on the Montana Grizzlies, what you've seen out of them so far and uh, just the level that they're playing at spe- specifically on the defensive side of the
2: it's phenomenal i don't know how else to say it i mean the way the way they the way they fly around and just you can tell they've really uh mastered i think is a a decent word they've really mastered coach bear's scheme and where everybody fits and how they fit and they're really fun to watch i mean i'm excited to get to watch more of them uh full transparency I, i i haven't got to watch much of them um other than highlights and what I read and listen to year show, so uh, but I you know uh, each each of the past couple of years um, I've got to go watch them and it's it's really been fun. Even even last spring I went to watch the Central game, so it's just been kind of fun to to see the evolution of the defense. And frankly, it's been awesome to get to watch some of the homegrown talent. And I and I'll always include Robbie Robbie Hawk in that conversation as homegrown. Um, some of these Montana boys are playing. At such a high level, and it's so fun to watch. I mean, the Calispoke kid and Well Wellnell and uh, Robbie, and I mean, they got some dudes. And, and um, Coach Bear and all those guys, Shan, and and uh, all of them do such a nice job with that defense. I, it's 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 really fun to watch. And Grizzlies Nation should feel really happy about the way their defense is playing and offensively. I mean, they're putting up. I mean, you, you go to you go to Washington, you know, you're in a dogfight. No pun intended, but. I mean, they, they they won the game. I mean, what you want to say defense won the game. I mean, no, it's a team, it's a team sport. I mean, defense did its job, and, and offense did what it took to win the game. But uh, obviously, I think they did what they were supposed to do two weeks ago, and then, you know, to have to kind of freshen up and get some dudes healthy and kind of get some legs. You know, that, that post-camp and those first couple games and then to get a week off, oof, it, uh, it could be. It could be ugly early for for cal poly but you, you know my feelings towards coach baldwin he's i think he's one of the best and, and they they do have their work cut out for him not just from a schematic change uh especially in such a, a crazy schematic change is what's what's happening at cal poly um but you know he's he, they they've, they've got their work cut out for him for sure and oh by the way they're walking into you know <laughs> they're walking into one of the toughest places to play in fcs so so I, I, I mean, I think the, I think the, I think they'll be refreshed, and I feel like the Grizzlies will do again what they're supposed to do against a team like this, and get 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 another win.
0: And on the other side of the Continental Divide, Montana State, they've played a couple Pioneer League non-scholarship teams the last couple of weeks. But when I'm analyzing these games, I'm always trying to look at execution. How clean are you? What are you showing? How are you operating? All that sort of stuff. And uh, even though Montana State did exactly what they're supposed to do, forty-five-seven against Drake, fifty-two to ten against San Diego, they still uh, look really, really, really good defensively. They look more, more diverse offensively. Uh, but just your impression of the Bobcats so far?
2: Yeah, they, they uh, that first game reminded me um, and helped helped me with the year. It would have been what two thousand. 14 when, when, when we went down to Wyoming with the Grizz, it was, it was 13 or 14. I can't remember. Kind of reminded me of that game a little bit. Just, you know, you kind of walked out of there going, God, how did we lose that type of thing? You know, like we, I thought we did enough to win and you remember the crazy thunder, you know, lightning delays and, and uh, it just, I thought they went down and scrapped pretty well and, and, you know, and, and a lot of, I know it's a woulda, coulda, shoulda deal, but felt like they did enough to maybe win that game. And then, yeah, the last two weeks I actually got to, I went to my first college game, uh, you know, probably since high school, I guess. Um, and I, I went as a fan um, and that was a lot of fun. Two weeks ago, the, it was my birthday culture. I'm getting old. And, and uh, I just went in, in, as a fan and uh, they look good. I mean, their defense looks really good and it's kind of been fun Again, I've, you know, I've, I've been removed now for a few years and a few seasons. And uh, to see some of these youngsters that have really grown into men, you know, the Troys, Daniel Hardy, Chase Benson. I know we, I know we got Amandre from the Huskies. But to see these dudes playing the way they're playing, Ty Okada, you know, Ty Okada who walked on and is now one of the team leaders and playing a high level of football. It's really cool to watch. I mean, I'm even as a fan sitting in the stands, I'm I'm, I usually watch the defense more than, you know, everybody who just wants to see the scoreboard being lit up. But, you know, I I like the new quarterback. He he's, uh, he's, you know, he's doing a nice job. I love the way that um, Tucker Robig has responded uh, in terms of what he's doing from a leadership standpoint. I mean, I think the kid was named a team captain and that's saying a lot as a, as a backup quarterback. So it shows you what, at least his, you know, teammates and or coaches are both think about him. You know, I recruited Isaiah out of Bellevue. He's, I think he's one of the best backs, if not, you know, I put him in the top one or two back three backs in the conference plays bigger than he really is. Um, but I think, I think the unsung heroes is that offensive line. They're really good. Coach Armstrong has done a fantastic job with them. You know, Lewis and Tui and those guys are, they're good. They're really good. And, and, and if, again, they're four or five years in the program now. I mean, they, they so where they the level they're playing at is in my mind where they should be at, because I think they're, I think they always had the potential, but I, I, think, I think going back to two seasons ago when they, when they made the semifinal run, a big part of that is because of the offensive line. So a ton of credit in my mind goes to coach Armstrong and those guys are doing a good job. They're fun to watch. I, I, I honestly hope both keep doing what they're doing And and games keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it would be really fun, really fun to see a whole lot on the line, not just who's going to get the higher seed, or maybe we can keep this team out of the playoffs, you know, on that November, whatever it is this year, 18th, 19th, 17th, whatever. But man, if these two programs keep doing what they're doing, we'll make for one heck of a November.
0: He's Ty Gregorak, new contributor here on the Big Sky Breakdown. We'll do this once a week, and I look forward to it each week. But, Coach, appreciate the awesome insight. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, have yourself a great weekend.
2: Thanks, Colter. You're doing an awesome job. Hey, I think Coach Baldwin called you Colton at the end of the show yesterday, so I'm going to text him and say, hey, know your personnel, Coach. It, you the classic Colton, part is I've known life. this guy
0: for 15 years, and he's always called me know, Colton. Yeah. He would hug me if he saw me, and he Colton. still calls me Colton. It's phenomenal. Yeah.
2: No, he, he needs to know his personnel. I'm sorry about that,
0: man. <laughs> it's all good. Appreciate you being here, man.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Coulter. See you, buddy.
0: College athletics is a fundamental part of the fabric of our communities in Montana, and it's the stories of these young men and women that drive our passion at Skyline Sports. Colter Nuwana here. In 2015, my brother Brooks and I founded SkylineSportsMT.com. As a lifelong athlete, Brooks has an elite knowledge of football with a deep perspective with his time spent playing safety for the Montana Grizz football team, while I won a collection of sports writing awards, including 2010 Washington Sports Writer of the Year during my time in newspapers. Together, we can offer you the best sports journalism in the state with crisp writing, unbiased reporting, cutting-edge photography, and a grassroots feel that belies the corporate takeover of modern media this day and age. As Montana natives, we have a deep historical knowledge of the fiercest rivalry in the West. We share a combined 22 years' experience involved in the Big Sky Conference. That experience gives us unparalleled knowledge of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics. If you'd like to experience this with us, visit Skyline Sports mt.com and subscribe for only $8 a month or $90 a year. scalansportsmt.com. Every
1: day, every season. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news.
0: To get things started off, it's been an interesting deal because uh, we always like to have the Coaches of the teams that the Montana schools are playing on the show. And it's been kind of hard to get a hold of guys. So I can get you through that logistics here in just a minute. But we'll be joined by Bo Baldwin, head coach from Cal Poly. Uh, his team takes on the Grizzlies of Montana here in uh, Missoula, homecoming Saturday. So we'll get to Coach Baldwin in just a few minutes. We'll hear from Troy Anderson, Montana State standout. Uh, a couple thoughts from his uh, press conference on Saturday after the Bobcats win over san diego also can hear from trevor Weldell. he's a reserve offensive lineman for the grizzlies but he's doing a big fundraiser car wash it's actually right by my shop it's right across the street that's actually kind of how i found out about it but very cool raising uh money for the montana food bank so uh always a good cause and uh we'll give you more information when trevor jumps on here about 4 30 also gonna hear from one of our favorites around here bruce bardham portland state they play uh they host montana state one of the the bigger Big Sky games of the week, but they're all big because this is uh, definitely a big weekend with the opening of conference play. But Bruce Barnum, Portland State, they take on Montana State in the city of Roses on Saturday. So we'll catch up with Coach Barnum in hour number two. We're also going to be joined by a kid I'm loving to get to know, man Zach Cruz. He's a senior at Missoula Sentinel, uh, awesome dude, fun to chat with always. And uh, he's a future Grizzly as well. And he has Sentinel rolling right now. They're three and zero this year. They have a thirteen game winning streak. Uh, so we'll hear from Zach in just a quick minute. We go down the Rangers Brothers RV phone line, though. This is fun because between Washington, who played Montana, and opened the year Western Illinois... We haven't heard from an opposing coach that's playing the Grizzlies yet because neither of those teams had any facilitation for outside media. And uh, on the Bobcat side of things, we've only heard from Dale Lindsay, the head coach from San Diego. So a different world here in 2021, but we're happy now to be back in the Big Sky Conference play, most particularly for me, because I get to catch up with guys that I've known for a long time, including this next guy, Bo Baldwin. He's the head coach for the Cal Poly Mustangs. He spent nine seasons in the Big Sky Conference previously as a head coach and more than a decade all told at Eastern Washington. Coach, good to hear from you, my man. How you doing?
3: I'm doing good, man. It's good, uh, good to be back on. For so just it's some enormity, history, right? Oh,
0: yeah, man. I mean, some history for our listeners, for Coach Baldwin and I, I actually first started covering Central Washington when I was right out of school, and he had just been there, and so then he went to Eastern Washington, returned to Eastern Washington. So I was going up to some Eastern games when I was living in Ellensburg, and then all of a sudden this all evolves into us doing Skyline Sports. So we talked to Coach Baldwin every week, and now here we are uh, with Coach Baldwin after leaving the Big Sky for a few years back in the Big Sky. So let's start there, Bo. You, you have a little hiatus uh, coaching in the Pac-12, but now you're back in the Big Sky Conference. You open Big Sky Conference play in Missoula, Montana on Saturday. What are your thoughts just about the opening of conference play for your team?
3: Uh, it's exciting. I mean, it, it's uh, like I said, it's just, you know, just feeling that that true, you know, the spring was odd. We all know that. The spring was kind of an odd deal. There wasn't a lot of, for us, there really wasn't any prep going into it. I'm talking like off-season prep and that. So this feels closer to we still are a long way away but it feels closer to you know having that true off season and still in your you know just your values what you're all about your system i mean there's a lot of change with us so it's uh but it's exciting um but it tell you what it's a challenge every time you turn on this film man there's uh including obviously the opponent we're going to play play this weekend in montana i mean these programs are ascending you know and i you know I, i was i was here just five, six years ago, whatever it was, yeah, about five years ago, 2016, the last year, um, it's different. It really is. But I mean that in a compliment to all these programs.
0: No question. We'll get into some of that, the evolution of the league while you were away and now with the sasa league right now. But let's go back a little bit because I want to ask you about what you just mentioned. I think both the values of your program when you were at Eastern Washington the last time you were a head coach, as well as the system you guys were running, undeniable the success uh, that that were that the, each of those elements were successful for you you during your tenure at Eastern Washington. What are those things, but also are they applicable at Cal Poly and what's similar in terms of building Cal Poly and what's different about building Cal Poly when it comes to both what you want your program to be about and what your program's running?
3: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it is very applicable. I mean, I, I wouldn't have wanted to take this job if I didn't think there's a high, high ceiling for what we can be in the big sky. And sometimes things don't happen overnight. They never happen overnight, let's be honest, um, especially when you're making, you know, 180 changes like we are on offense. And that's not taking anything away, you know, from what they're doing before. It's just vastly different, you know. So it's going to take um, not just certain players, but also the players that are in your program that are good football players but developing a different type of skill set with them. Uh, but I, I absolutely believe um, that, that we can get to a level – uh, very similar to what we were doing at Eastern Washington in terms of the type of kids we get, uh, and then really how we develop them. That's the biggest thing. I'm I'm hitting these with these guys, and that's the kind of what you talk about um, with your values and what you are every day, and and just the day to day piece. That 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 is where we're we're stressing. We stressed it last off season. I mean, right now we're in the meat of the season, so we're on top of that, and we're attacking every week and. And we know it's a challenge in front of us. But when you're talking about year after year after year, it's really assessing how do we get to a point where we're putting the product on the field from September to December um, that makes us proud, that 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 is something where we can be competitive. Well, that that takes absolute full commitment from January to August. So that's the part of it where you know, kind of the evolution that uh, that will be going on in the off season and every off season and. And those are things we we did at Eastern. I was just fortunate to follow Paul Wolf, who who set a great foundation with that, and then we'll uh, you know we were able to build off that, and and uh, we're going to do the same here.
0: Nuan is now ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. It's our Across the Sidelines segment presented by Mike Nugent and Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate. The world of real estate—it's always evolving. That's more true now than ever. If you're a longtime Missoulian or a longtime Montana, and that's looking to upgrade or downsize might be the best time yet for you to sell. If you're in the position to buy something new, today might be the best time for you to buy. And no matter what questions you might have when it comes to residential or commercial real estate, Mike Nugent, the professionals at Berkshire Hathaway in Missoula, they have all your answers. Give them a call today, 406-531-1802. That's 531-1802. Bo Baldwin, Cal Poly head coach, joining us here on ESPN Radio. And, Coach, I want to ask you about the the – When you left the Big Sky Conference in 2016 to now, when you left, how would you describe just the identity of the league, and how is it different now? I know you haven't embarked on this latest charge yet, but just uh, I know you've seen some teams, especially with the spring season and all that. uh, But what what, what would you say the identity was of the league back in 2016, and how much different is it now?
3: Uh, You know, I think it's. I mean, it's always been a strong league, and we know that. You know, so the identity was still strong in 2016, and. And if I go all the way back to, you know, 2003 when I first got in the league, 2008 when I took, was able to take over as a head coach. So it's always been strong. It's just what I'm seeing is every program, wherever it was, for the most part, I feel like. And, and I know win ever, someone has to win and someone has to lose every weekend. So it doesn't, can't always reflect it just on wins and losses. But when I look at program to program, just their personnel, their size, their speed, their strength, their ability to go – you know, play up a level. And even if they're not winning some of these games, you know, we've shown obviously that we've won, but even some of the teams that have lost, you know, playing FBS teams, they've been in tight ball games. You know, so my point is I see very few programs descending. How's that? I see almost every program, man, they look different than they did on film five years ago. They look bigger, they look stronger, they're able to go up and compete with so and so or so and so you know, at another level. And it's like team after team after team, you say that about, you know, so it's uh, that makes it a serious challenge, but that's a credit to in my opinion, to the coaching, which in this conference that I'd, I'd be hard pressed to say you can find better overall coaching in an FCS conference anywhere. Um, I think the coaching in here, the stability of some of these programs now having had some coaches in place for a while and building it. And then the commitment of those specific universities, the commitment to the facilities and the commitment you know, I don't know all the details, but it looks like there's some commitment to training table and, you know, and summer stuff and and the different things it takes to take an FCS level to be closer to FBS level type uh type of program.
0: It is a good point because I think that almost everybody in the league has made a commitment. That- to football, to, to, to making football matter, to making sure football matters. And so uh, I do think it's an interesting fold because you're right. I think the, also the influx of so many great coaching staffs into the league is uh, a huge impact as well. It's a great point you made there, too. Coach Baldwin, Bo Baldwin, the head coach at Cal Poly, joining us here on ESPN Radio. So let's talk about that element of this thing, Coach. Uh, you're coaching staff a lot of recognizable names especially for a guy like me who's covered the big sky conference for a long time and uh, you know from guys that were great former players for you to a guy like paul wolf uh, who is also a, is an outstanding head coach in this league uh, just take us through your coaching staff what you did to assemble it and what sort of advantages you hope that gives you because you do have so many guys that are familiar with this league
3: yeah i mean i'm, I'm very fortunate um with the staff that i've been able to assemble um and we've got a I think a good mixture of both youth, you know, that youth, that energy, that passion um, that, you know, because you need that passion in recruiting. You need that passion, you know, just with everything you're doing, the day-to-day and the long hours, but also with some veteran guys and some guys that you just can't put a, you know, put a price on what they bring to the table, like you mentioned with Paul Wolf. And then, you know, also a guy like Coach Clemens on defense who's been in the conference before and been in some other areas um, as well, a couple of our veteran guys on O&D, um, but with that you know more than anything the staff being able to assemble guys that you trust and that you know and that they know your system and and they know what you're looking for I like a good mix of that but I also still wanted to bring in you know four or five guys that uh, you know that i got you know basically they're recommended you go interview them you do that but four or five guys that can bring new ideas too because I think you got to be careful of just well, I'm going to go hire all my good old boys because what we've always done is, is going to continue to work. And like in business or in anything, you start thinking that way, you're going to get passed up. So, but you also don't want to – famili- you don't want zero familiarity either. So we, we have a good mix, but we also have a good mix of guys coming in, you know, from Boise, from San Jose, from Fresno, you know, that can uh, bring in some different ideas as well. Obviously, Paul Wolf's been at a few different places as well. Um, So it's it's exciting to to have a group that uh, you know that understands what you you're looking for as head coach. You've worked with before. You've coached some of the guys. You've coached them, but also have fresh ideas as well.
0: I think one of the the most fascinating folds of when you talk about the system transition that Cal Poly is going under. Paul Wolf is a guy that has a, a well known and well earned reputation as one of the great offensive line coaches. Period. I mean, period in the country, no question. And so the fact is, when I think about transitioning from the triple option, Coach, I know that a lot of fans and people that follow the game, they think, you know, the quarterback's going to have to learn how to throw. The receiver's going to learn how to catch. To me, I'm thinking about these offensive linemen because it's so objectively different what they're doing uh, in a more traditional spread type, spread type scheme than uh, with a lot of the cuts and, and down blocks and stuff they're doing the triple option. So how does that marriage work? How, how important is Coach Wolf's expertise in sort of helping reshape your offense from an offensive line perspective?
3: Is incredibly important, and that's why uh, that's why he called, you know what you're doing, too, and you know what you're talking about because you're 100% right. You know, most of these QBs or receivers, you know, they've, they've been running seven-on-seven, seven, you know, and, and doing things coming out of high school, and, and even some of the guys that might have been in this system as a receiver, let's say, they were still not necessarily running this system in high school. Um, but the O-linemen, they were recruited here specifically for this system. Some of them from schools like De La Salle or other places that ran a similar system. So their and their body types sometimes aren't um, you know as ideal for what we're trying to do. So in fairness to those kids, they were, you know, they are scramble blocking, cut blocking, you know, every snap and maybe two hundred and seventy five pounds, you know, and, and that fit. And now Coach Wolf has taken those guys and we're also recruiting into some of those spots and finding ways then to get them to understand how to pass set and zone block and everything that comes with a gun spread. So it's by far um, they're all, you know, tricky transitions, you know, because you're running route trees now, not just two or three routes. Uh, QBs are full progressions, not just, you know, taking a shot once every you know, 15th play. So it is different, but we've also recruited some receivers and QBs into that system and we've developed the others where the O-line, it, it takes a little time and it is taking time and we can see that.
0: But, of course, the quarterback transition is a real one as well. Bo Baldwin, Cal Poly, head coach, joining us here on Nuanas now. And, Coach, you had such an awesome uh, track record of developing recruiting quarterbacks at Eastern Washington. I think a total of six guys were Big Sky Conference MVPs during your time at Eastern. And now one of those guys, Eric Meyer, who was a a multiple-time Big Sky Conference MVP, now coaching quarterbacks for you there. So how much has he added to the fold? And and, uh, what's it like being back the head coach that still has a lot of say in the offense and coaching that position?
3: Oh, it's, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun having Eric. And uh, I think he's got an incredibly bright future in coaching. Um, he, you know, in some ways, he started he started his college coaching career a little later because he was still playing Arena League for about 10 years. You know, so he was still playing. But he would come back and, and coach one year with us at Eastern, you know, in his off season, coached another year at Central with some guys I knew, um, continued to coach high school. So he'd been coaching. And then the last three years, he spent with me at Cal. Um, But in terms of truly coaching a position, it's fun to see him growing because it's like, you know, it's one of the first times he's taking over, you know, a a QB position room at this level. So it's and and he's he's natural. He's just natural at it. And I saw that when he was working with us at Eastern a couple of those years um, and to be on the same page with him because he knows exactly he spent three years with me at Cal. So we speak the same language. We talk to the QBs the same way. I know that when he's in that room, we're always going to be on the same page with what he's telling them, whether I'm in there or not. So, yeah, I have some input and I get to talk to those guys. But we all are on the same page with, uh, you know, just our mindset and system and and how we're teaching things.
0: Across the sidelines presented by Mike Nugent of Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate Mike and the professionals at Berkshire Hathaway have all your answers, whether you're looking to buy, sell, whatever questions you have in this sometimes confusing market. To find out what Mike can do for you, give him a call, 531 And remember, every question is good to ask. Coach, a couple more things for you before we get you out of here. First and foremost, I know that you've had a lot of battles with the Grizzlies in the past, and now you take your new version of uh, Cal Poly into Washington Grizzlies Stadium Saturday, homecoming in Missoula. It should be a raucous and fun environment. Uh, What is your anticipation of this game, and what's it going to be like for you being back on the sidelines in Missoula? Uh,
3: I mean, always an amazing atmosphere, always a challenging atmosphere, but um, not just because of the fans, but also what you're up against, you know, year after year, you know, playing the Montana teams over the years. Um, you can go in there and play well and still, you know, not earn a victory because it is that tough. And they just, they know how to win there. Um, and this year is no different if not to another level. You know, I've seen a lot of good Montana teams over the years, you know, and I remember, you know, facing off against Coach Hout's teams, both when I was an assistant and when, you know, my first couple of years as a head coach, And I would arguably say this one is right up there with any of them, you know, any of them, just with how they play, you know, just the the mindset They, they play with a passion and almost a, what I would call a recklessness, but they're in control. And that's, what's amazing about it, how reckless they can play, yet still keeping it in control and not getting out of position. And that's impressive to see. And you can see it's an attitude, um, so, because it's one thing to just be, you know, fly around and blah blah blah, but get yourself out of control. It's it's impressive to see and that, but that's a sign of just a well coached team, you know, that that understands exactly how to play the game, and they're going to be a serious challenge, you know, for us, and we know that, and we're excited about it. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, you're going to have to be on it every play. You're you're going to you're going to be to be at your best on every play in that state against that opponent for sure.
0: Well, I used to love when we used to have a weekly coach's conference call because I would jump on there and talk to every coach because I love learning about football. And I think you taught me more about offensive football than almost any coach that I ever talked to on that conference call we used to have through the Big Sky. Uh, but from your perspective then, What is the diagnosis of that Montana defense? How would you describe what they do? Because I've been watching this team live and in person for several seasons now. I started, I'm starting to get it now, but uh, it it is a pretty complex scheme with a variety of fronts and pressures and coverages and all this stuff. So how would you just describe schematically what Montana is trying to do defensively?
3: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times kind of what I said, you know, they're, they're creating some chaos, but they're in control doing it. You know, it reminds me a little bit of when we were, when I was at Cal facing Alex Grinch. Um, but I think, and this is taking nothing away from WSU or Alex Grinch because I think he's incredible and did a great job. But I think there's times where I feel like they even present Montana presents even more resistance with Duke creating the chaos. So you know, they're setting the tougher edges. They're, you know, they're bringing pressures that are tough to tough to see, tough to pick up. Um, and they're doing that in a fashion that can really, like I said, they can really get an offense unraveled. But it's one of those things that you you look at, you study, you try to get a beat on, and it's hard. It is tough, and it's especially tough when you got 28,000 or however many that damn stadium holds. Now, um, you know, screaming and it's loud. It, I mean, I was in Austin Stadium with Oregon, you know, against Oregon, been in New U Stadium when I was at Cal, and I still would argue to say that the loudest place is still there. So it's, you know, when you add that piece to some of what they're doing, it's, you know, it it can be challenging for those offenses. But the most impressive part, in my opinion, is the fact that whatever looks hard for the offense and chaotic for the offense seems like it's simple for those guys. And that's a compliment both to those players and just their understanding of it and their commitment to know exactly their alignment, their assignment. And it's a compliment to that coaching staff. Because if you can make something that seems like it can be difficult for an opponent, yet you make it look fairly simple on your side. And that was always kind of our mindset at times on offense. You know, I wanted to feel like what we were doing was simple. You know, when we had our great offensive years, what we were doing was simple, but it put pressure and was difficult on the defense. And I feel like they do a really good job of that on defense right now.
0: Last thing for you, Coach, Then uh, we talked a lot about your coaching staff. You mentioned coaching staffs around the league. Uh, Coach Houck always pushes back on me when I'm asking about the experience of his coaching staff because he always says that that means I'm calling him old. But here nor there, they have a lot of coaches that have been around the block a lot of times and a lot of guys that have been – throughout college football, throughout the West. So, uh, do you have any specific connections to any of the guys on Bobby Howick's staff? And, and uh, more than that, though, how much do you think the fact that he does have so many veteran coaches contributes to, like you say, a team that seems like they're operating at a really high level execution-wise?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, there, I, and I have a connections with a few of those guys, and and obviously Wolfie and Rosie, you know, and that and that connection. But there, there are some others on the staff, and, and ultimately I have a – you know, I always appreciated so much the years that I got to be around Coach Out because I had so much respect for him, and I I, I still remember um, you know just having respect for I had respect for such the consistency because I think you know and I and, and like even sometimes at Eastern people will talk about you know making a run and going to the national title, um, but sometimes you can make a run in a year. I mean, you really can. You can make a run in a year, but when you show consistency. You know, in other words, back to back big sky titles, three out of four years doing things. And and we were able to develop that fortunately, but before we ever did any of that while I was at Eastern, I remember seeing Coach Houck's teams and just the consistency they played with every week and the consistency they played with the big Sky. I just had so much respect for that and appreciated that. And I even went and visited him when he was at UNLV the first couple of years. Because, you know, when you're competing against them, you can't go clinic with them, obviously you know you're you're going up against him but the minute he the minute he was at UNLV I went there and visited with him a couple times Um, my wife just thinks it's because I wanted an excuse to go to Vegas but that wasn't bad either but uh but he uh it was fun to see what he was doing how he was doing it And and I definitely took some ideas you know there and that was I think 2010 2011 you know my third year my fourth year as a head coach so Anyway, there's there, there's no question when you watch that team on on the field, you know when you see them go perform in, in the UW stadium the way they did. There's a lot of of culture and stuff that has been built to get to that point to go do that on a Pac-12 stage and then followed up the next week not have any letdown. I mean, there's a uh, it's a it's a well coached ball ball club with a great culture and and they're doing a great job.
0: Cal Poly at Montana Saturday Homecoming. 1 p.m. Another thing that makes Coach Alkins exceptionally happy because he likes only games at noon and one. Bo Baldwin, he'll bring his team here to Missoula. It should be an awesome day. It's supposed to be beautiful weather here in Missoula. It's supposed to be an awesome afternoon, and we can't wait to have Cal Poly here in the Garden City. Coach, appreciate you taking so much time today. Thanks so much for joining us, and best of luck on Saturday.
3: Appreciate it, Colton. Good to talk to you again, bud.
0: Montana State, they open up Big Sky Conference play in Portland, uh, at Portland State. First time the Bobcats have been out to the West Coast to take on the Vikings since 2018. And now we go to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line and welcome in. Good friend of mine, a guy that I love having on this show, and I know a big-time favorite of the people around the state of Montana, he's Bruce Barnum, the head coach for the Portland State Vikings. Barney, what's good, my guy? How you living?
5: Coulter, how are you?
0: So good. All, for having me. All I know is every time your name comes up, I, I just get swarmed now. It's not because I'm popular or you're famous. It's because you are the purveyor of the number one good that the great folks of Montana like. That's the Dots pretzel. So I, we got to start with that. <laughs> I know you're not coming here, so we got to figure out a way to get some more because this is of high demand here in Montana.
5: Well, are you coming? Are you are you heading this way with the, with the cats or no?
0: I am not coming that way this time. I wish I was, but I'm not making it over there uh, this time.
5: I had a case of honey mustard for you. That's, That's okay. I'm sure our cows will cross soon enough. Yeah, yeah. I'll save some for you. Hey, I got a score prediction to kick off the the segment. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> um, the battle. The Grizz versus the Cats. I have a score prediction.
0: I can't wait for do, this. Do the folks of Montana want it? Bruce Barton, you have the stage. Three to two. <laughs> I was going to go
5: two goose, but you're talking about two defenses. I'll, I'll, I, what are we doing that weekend? I'll probably be getting ready for the playoffs, but we, I might have to come there and announce that one with you. It's going to be either 2-0 or uh, 16 overtime. You know, you have to go do something. You have to kick it. You have to do something different. You talk about two defenses, only jumping catfish. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's an apt point, though, because it does show just the, the, the level that both the Montana schools are playing defensively. That's been my number one impression of the non-conference is just how exceptionally well Both the Grizzlies and the Bobcats have executed defensively. Uh, It is uh, unbelievable to watch both these teams fly around. They run to the ball. They play hard. They have great depth. They have great talent. Uh, But it seems, Barney, that this is sort of funny because the Big Sky has long had this reputation as this high-flying offensive league. But right now, several of the teams that are the favorites in the league and several of the teams that are the highest-ranked teams in the league are the ones that are playing the best defense.
5: Yes, I'm seeing that. And and honestly, you know, you always talk about it. If you can come up with a couple stops in this conference, you know, you're going to win games. But um, you talk about two stout defenses. You know, I had a taste of uh, the Grizz in the spring, you know, and I didn't think we were quite ready, but went over there anyway, and now I'm watching this on film, you know. And, And just to top it off, just to put a cherry on the top, for Christ's sake, they put 15 the Anderson kid at Mike linebacker, are you kidding me? Leave him on offense. I don't
0: I don't need that. <laughs> well, let's talk about the matchup on Saturday then. Portland State head coach Bruce Barnum joining us here on Nuana's Now. It's part of our across the sidelines segment as we profile and interview coaches that both the Grizzlies and the Bobcats take on each week. Barney's Portland State Vikings, they host Montana State Saturday afternoon, Hillsboro Stadium. 3 P.M. local time kickoff here uh for Montana State. And, Coach, you mentioned just the complexion of Montana State's roster, particularly Troy Anderson, who's a guy who stands out on film no matter where he lines up. But how do the Bobcats look different? Because this is not the Bobcats of Jeff Choate. This is the Bobcats now of new head coach Brett Vegan. So what do you think of just the way Montana State looks on film and how much is it different from the last time you've taken on MSU?
5: Well, um, outstanding athletes. They're tough. They play hard. They are always in the right spot. You know they 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 throw the ball a little more. You know, it was, can we actually run, every snap every of snap. every game? <laughs> you know, um, they're, they mix it up. They keep you more off with the you know the RPOs and taking their shots when they want to and on offense. Um, and they've got talent. I mean, you kidding me? You look at their edges. You got kid and two yes, you got, you got guys on the edges who. Um, probably should be at FBS. Uh, they're a tough group, but um, it's, they don't try to uh, – what's the word, Culture? You're a word person. They, they don't get cute, you know. They're doing this. Here's their scheme. Here's what we do. They do it perfect on offense. They don't make mistakes. On defense, they're always in the right spot. They run to the football, whether it's man, zone, you know, showing blitz and backing out, whatever. Excuse me. It's fun to watch. It's fun to watch. But now we have to play them, so I actually called over there. And there's a possibility second quarter, um, they might let us play with 12, um, you know, to their 11, just to even things out.
0: Well, I know you haven't experienced Montana State live and in person for a little while. But I know when we tacked in the past when you were taking on Jeff Choate's Bobcats, you mentioned just the pitcher to run the football the physicality they like to play with. I mean, just knowing Chote, it was kind of a direct reflection of his personality. He's kind of an in-your-face tough guy. And, uh, you know, it seemed like the Bobcats were always looking to get in a fist fight. Does it look different than that, though? I mean, do you feel like they're playing with more, I don't want to say finesse because they're still playing a very physical brand of football, but how does that element change things? Because it seemed like it was just so concerted, such a concerted effort to just roughhouse the opponent when Chote was the head coach.
5: Right. Um uh... And I agree with Choate. You know, he's one of those, I love the guy, but he's one of those close talkers. You know, they always kind of, they rub some guys the wrong way. And he's like, hey, Marty, how you doing? Three inches apart. And COVID, you know, if we weren't masked up, he'd be passing in a heartbeat. But (laughs) they're, they, I wouldn't even compare them. He's got, obviously, a lot of Choate's crew. They're athletic. They're thick. They're strong. You know, they... They strike you. They have hips. They, you know, culture they play hard. You know, as far as the, you know, getting in a rough house or that, uh, it seems to me like it's more, you know, first down, hand the ball to the ref to just hum- humiliate you. They're they're a good football team. Very impressed. Do I don't cross- say that about everybody. You know that.
0: Do you have any crossover with Brett Vegan? Do you have any familiarity with him? Zero. It's interesting Zero. because a lot, of, a lot of times in the Big Sky there is so much crossover because so many guys have made their careers out west. He's sort of from a different coaching tree, and he's also from a different region being a Midwestern guy for quite some time. And so he doesn't have a lot of crossover. So is, is that add to like the element of mystery when it comes to game planning? or how do you, I mean, how do you just sort of compartmentalize a guy that's sort of new to the Big Sky Conference fraternity? Well, uh,
5: luckily it's you know their fourth game. Well, we've got the three games on them prior so you know what they're doing they're adding maybe a little bit each week and you know he, he came from um a place that he won a lot of football games so he obviously knows how to do it coulter and how to put it together and it, yes it's his first time i believe as a head coach correct
0: that is correct yes
5: so uh, you know he's got some paperwork that he's probably not used to and you know travel plans well i don't know they actually probably have a few ops guys at montana state but um, it's a little different, but no, having three games on them, uh, at least we have an idea of what we're going to be faced with on Saturday.
0: Across the lines presented by Mike Nugent of Berkshire Hathaway real estate. We do this twice a week here on new now we now where it's happened to do them both in the same show today. We heard from Bo Baldwin earlier and to hear from Bruce Barnum now. Profiling and interviewing the coaches that lead the opponents of both Montana and Montana State. Coach Barnum's Bobcats, excuse me, Coach Barnum's Vikings take on the Bobcats uh, in Hillsborough Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Uh, and, Coach, let's talk about you and your program. I know one thing that gave me a good chuckle and uh, you know, made me really look forward to, to hearing from you again this week was I know last week your game against Western Oregon, uh, you decided to go on the radio and say, I'm buying beers for everybody that showed up. And I heard that they might have sold more than 2,000 beers on your behalf last week uh, during your home game a 21-7 victory over Western Oregon. So tell us about that because it seems like you've had to come up with a lot of creative ways to keep Portland State football in the (laughs) spotlight. Uh, But, I mean, what what gives you the courage and and the dedication to go out and do something like that? Well, uh, I get
5: paid more than everybody else around here on staff. So, you know, that went into it when I make, you know, do throw out quotes like that, Coulter, but honestly, I thought it'd be more of, I told somebody this earlier, I thought it might be more of a, you know, Shawshank Redemption on the roof with like five beers in a bucket. I didn't expect a (laughs) uh, a, a mini Woodstock, uh, you know. I was getting calls from back east, friends texting, you know, it was, it, it took off, which good for us in Western Oregon. There's a decent crowd there. Um, I did get a text. I got a text from Pow and he said, uh, you know, it, it tells, it speaks to our crowd and you know, where his program's at and mine and along with Bob Cass, He said, you would never do that here. You'd have to work an extra 10 years, you know, referring to his the Grizz Nation <laughs> drinking, but it all, it went over well. And right, right before our interview. Uh, culture They're Actually, I'll, I'll tweet it out when I get it. They had me uh, They and say, I heard a holler from around the corner, Barney, we have the receipt. You want to see it? I'm like, uh, you know what? I got an interview. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> but, but it was. There's it was over 2,000 beers. There were no lines. Everybody had a blast. You know, I told them to have 3,000 ready, so they actually went short. And it was fun. Even the president uh, of the university I thought it was the greatest thing in America, so it worked out good.
0: Well, let's talk about that element of your program because Portland State uh, has some distinct advantages when it comes to building a program in the Big Sky Conference and some distinct disadvantages as well. And I know that uh, you have navigated many, if not all of those since you took over as the head coach there in 2015. I thought that uh, your first year there when we first launched Skyline Sports, just the chronicling of Barney's Americana Tour and the great run you guys went on, one of the most fun and cool things I've covered in my journalism career but uh, it, it seems like you've continued to have to jump through hoops to try to make this thing a reality. But here we are, and it's still rolling along, and now Big Sky Conference play opening up, and, and you've been there now for more than a handful of years and it seems like you, you really got the foundation laid. So uh, what's it been like to try to navigate all the challenges the Portland State has, and uh, uh, how have you been able to reach this point as now you, you enter this season and, enter and open up Big Sky Conference play on Saturday? It keeps you
5: hopping, even in the offseason culture. It takes you away from football a little bit. You know, I I am calling the offense right now. I finally went back to it and said, you know, this is why I'm sitting here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing that, something that's uh, the most fun in my life. But there's things we have to do. I, I just spoke today to a group. I, I want a stadium here on campus. I showed them where it could be. I showed them where it could fit. Uh, when I was at Hawaii, they told me phase one was $13 million. I think we could round that up here, and I think it would change Portland State football. So, you know, that's the big wish. There's other items, daily uh, culture that I deal with, but you know, I, I've kind of changed. I, I've I've grown up like Tuesdays. Tuesdays is my interview day. I, I get them all on Tuesdays, uh, so I can do some work on the opponent, you know, and not leave the offensive staff sitting in there waiting for me. Um, I've made some adjustments that are making the job a little easier, but still have, again, there's more hats here than other places. That's not an excuse at all. You know, are we the underdog? Yes, in most of the games. Are we this week? Yes, but, you know, uh, you got to play on Saturday. And uh, uh, if we can get it all together, and then there's all kinds of new items now. You know, you got NIL, you've got Transfer Portal. You've got some things that can even... Uh, the sidelines quicker than in the past. So we're making our work best we
0: can. I had the distinct pleasure attacking with your quarterback earlier today, Davis Alexander. You can find that interview later on this week on the Big Sky Breakdown. Probably play an excerpt here on Nuana's Now as well, Big Sky Breakdown on Skyline Sports. And uh, Nuwana's Now here each and every weekday between 4 and 6. You are listening to ESPN Missoula as well as SWX Montana Television. It's across the sidelines with Bruce Barnum. He's the head coach of Portland State, his squad, Hosts Montana State on Saturday and coach Davis Alexander uh, great young man really fun to talk to him Uh, great perspective on, on his journey as a college football player in general but also as the starting quarterback for the better part of four years for your Portland State squad so what have you thought of his journey because I know you first told me when you first got Davis Alexander hey I got some a guy that's got a little juice he's pretty tough And uh, here he is now, though, one of the most veteran quarterbacks in the league. So what have you liked about the way he's evolved? And how would you sum up his career so far with the Vikings?
5: Well, uh, I finally have him with with some people to throw to, number one. Um, So it's kind of come to a peak. His quarterback coaches, you know, just because of, you know, dealing with staff turnover, et cetera, have been, Um, One guy before me who was a young guy, you know, then it's me who all I really talked to him about was here's how you protect yourself and, you know, throw it to that guy. Then I had a uh, a receivers coach. I finally have him a quarterback's coach his senior year. So I was kind of proud of that. He's finally got a guy I hired, John Eagle out of Camas High School in Washington, who's been a quarterback's guy forever. So he's working with him. Um, But uh, tough. I mean he's in the office more than my coaches. He he's your class. he's a guy you want at quarterback, you know. Um he knows what I want on the field. Um and, and he's talented. I think he has a big arm. I think he's elusive and he is one of the toughest, you know, players I've been around. How is one, your office? One more thing. What, sure. what what he's given us now, Coulter? is we used to be a run it, and when we didn't, you know, let's piecemeal this together with tight ends, et cetera. Now it's a situation where when we're struggling running the ball, we're actually able to put up uh, better numbers and better production with the pass game with him this senior year.
0: I know he's a guy that has a lot of respect around the state of Montana because of his performances against both the Grizz and the Bobcats over the years. Uh, But, Coach, you were here in Missoula in April to play a game against the Montana Grizzlies. And I know that we talked after the game. You were very impressed with Montana. I know you said that off the top here, too, just how impressed you've been with both the Grizzlies and the Bobcats defensively. But I know you mentioned, too, that you guys came to was a little shorthanded then. So how has your team changed, particularly offensive personnel-wise, uh, since April, and, and what sort of uh, what sort of upgrades have you made, particularly on the, offside, uh, the offensive side of the ball?
5: Well, um, we are. We're, we're, we're full now. I I believe 110 players. Um, Colter coming off this spring, we got some guys injured back. Like everybody, we lost a few that you'll see next year. Um, but uh, we had to improve the offensive line. Now I say that, and, and I know the Bobcats right now are, are probably going to blitz every snap after watching some of the snafus we had in protection last week, but we're we're a little rusty still. I've got these guys here, trying to bring them together. I talked to the offensive line this morning. I said, you know, you guys are playing rogue. You're not playing as one. And I I think that group's very talented. Um, But we have to shore some things up. The first three games took care of some of the rust. We just got to get the rust out quickly. We had a great practice this morning, but I got Wednesday, Thursday. uh, And then it gets real in conference when... You
0: know, one of the best teams in the conference is walking in our house. Bruce Barnum joining us here on Duana's now 102.9 ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. Coach Barnum, the head coach of the Portland State Vikings, his squad hosts Montana State on Saturday. And coach, just a couple more things for you. First and foremost, you're an offensive guy. You're the offensive play caller now again at Portland State. But how would you diagnose the, the scheme that Montana State's running? What makes it tick? And how do you how do you think your squad matches up with what Montana State's doing now in Freddie Banks' defense?
5: Well, they're going to strike you on offense, number one. They're going to run the ball, um, and they've got the guys up front to do it. Uh, their quarterback's He's a, you know, it, They didn't take away uh, the entire look that you had when Troy was back there. They still run power with the quarterback, but they'll RPO him, I think, a little bit more. Um, and that's what they do. I think they're 65 percent run. I think that's what the guy, you know, all the defensive guys. Oh, they ran, they run the football 67 percent of the time, you know. And I'm like, well, what about that fourth quarter, the last two weeks when they're up by 112? Do we really have to count those? But they are, they're a powerful football team. Again, that uh, they're not going to show you, they're not going to make things up on Thursday night to try to beat us. You know what I mean? Um, that's the talent they have, and that's how they run it. A uh, little bit of, I don't want to say old school, but pro style. Besides running the quarterback, um, defensively, and I've already spoke on it. I've watched it now for two weeks. I mean, uh, I, I like their entire roster. I mean, we put up, we always put up favorites, or not favorites, bet their best players. You know, at the end of our scattering report. Um, we could have put up all 11 and a couple backups, for Christ's sake. But we narrowed it down to four. We never have four. We usually have one or two guys. You know, this is their guy. These are their cats. But um, they're a solid football team. Uh, it'll be our best effort. Going to need a couple turnovers from the mighty cats. Um, uh, and try to and try to give them a game on Saturday.
0: Well, Coach, we appreciate you taking so much time. I know it's a busy week for you, as it always is, but it's always our pleasure to have you here on ESPN Radio around the great state of Montana. It's Bruce Barton, Portland State head coach, and best of luck on Saturday, Barney. Thanks very much, Colbert.
5: Thanks for having us, and uh, uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'll get you those
0: honey mushrooms from Dot as soon as we can. Across the sidelines. Double time here on Nuwana's Now Today. Heard from Bo Baldwin, Cal Poly head coach, Mustangs. Coming to Missoula for homecoming on Saturday. And that was Bruce Barnum, Portland State. One of our favorite head coaches from across Big Sky Conference football. He's always bringing the heat and uh, always bringing the laughs, too. So we appreciate Coach Barnum for joining us. There's all sorts of variable levels of expectation at schools across the Big Sky Conference. There's also variable levels of advantages and disadvantages. And I think that the advantages for some of the schools are quite obvious. I the Grizzly stadium, Bobcat stadium. Those are huge advantages for the Grizzlies and the Bobcats respectively. The investment in football, the passion for football in the more rural States that have home big CI conference schools. Those are certainly uh, big advantages as well. Portland state. They do have, you know, the city school, the metropolitan area to recruit to all of those things, but they also have some serious disadvantages. It, p- Football has not been a high priority for the Portland State administration for a long time. They struggled with dealing with the pandemic as much as any program in the United States of America. I mean, the governor of Oregon shut down Portland State and Portland All Sports, while, though, Oregon and Oregon State were not shut down. So that was an interesting fold as well. So, I mean, Coach Barnum didn't go into that much detail there, but it was an incredibly weird and tough year for Portland State. Even though it was weird and tough for everybody, it was more weird and more tough for Portland State than almost any other school in the Big Sky Conference. They were basically by government mandate not allowed to be around each other for one iota, not on campus at all for almost a year. And you say, well, how's that different than a lot of the other schools? Well, a lot of the other schools were in pods. They were quarantined with each other. Uh, They were still able to access workout facilities. They were still able to You know, have meetings and and practice and all that stuff. There was no practice, no lifting, nothing in a team element, in a team environment for Portland State for a really, really long time. And I think you saw that have a detrimental effect on uh, all of the sports. I mean, after the Big Sky Conference tournament this last year, Lynn Kennedy, before he took the McNeese State job, the women's basketball coach at Portland State, he mentioned that Portland State won more games than times that they actually practiced throughout the entire season because of the pandemic. So that's the situation Portland State's been in. That's all to say that I think that when you look at Bruce Barnum and his overall record at Portland State, nothing to really uh, raise an eyebrow, nothing really uh, to turn ahead about. He was really good his first year as the interim head coach in 2015. Portland State went 9-3. and three. They got a playoff seed. Uh, they went to the playoffs for just the second time as a Division One member. Since then, just 12 wins, 12 and 34 for Bruce Barnum overall at Portland State. Had the 0 and 11 in 2017 when Davis Alexander was a a true freshman. And uh, he's just 14 and 26 in league play, including just 8 and 24 since that 6 and 2 mark in 2015. All that is to say that Barnum has had so many different obstacles to overcome. Year one, all the way through a lot of his time there. They're not taking airplanes anywhere. They're busing all over the Big Sky Conference. This is the largest geographic conference in the United States of America. You're talking about eight states, three time zones. You're busing from Portland to San Luis Obispo, California. That's 18 and a half hours one way. So these dudes are living a different experience than a lot of schools in the Big Sky Conference. And the fact that Barnum does things like he pays for the beer at the stadium for everybody that attends out of his own pocket, that's amazing. Like he mentioned, I don't know if it's a frugal or wise decision to do that if Montana State or Montana's coming to town because they're going to bring more fans. And as we know, they're going to definitely drink more beer as well. But Coach Barnum, you cannot question his dedication to his kids and his program. And he's, he's proven it. He's putting his money where his mouth is, quite literally. And we always love having him on around here. I do think it's a pivotal year for Portland State overall as a program. It's a contract year for Bruce Barnum. And uh, I think Portland State is pretty darn good. They're one of my dark horses in the league. I voted them fifth in my preseason poll. They were way down eighth, ninth, tenth, I think, between the media and the coaches. So I got them a lot higher than most people in the league do. But part of that's because I think Barnum's a great coach. I think he revamped his offensive staff in a way that will cater to success. And Davis Alexander... He's a tough dog, man. He's a great quarterback, one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the league, certainly one of the toughest quarterbacks in the league. I think he fits Portland State's system about as well as any quarterback in the league does as well. So I think it's going to be a showdown and a throwdown out in Portland on Saturday. That game, again, 3 p.m. local kick time. ESPN Plus is where you can find the broadcast, Montana State at Portland State, Hillsborough Stadium, 3 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We appreciate Bruce Barnum for taking some time and kicking it with us here on Nuana as now. Well, happy now to welcome in a guy I've interviewed a lot of times for SkylineSportsMT.com and, and written about a fair amount during his Bobcat career, but his first appearance here on Newana is now on 1029 ESPN Radio as well as SWX television around the great state of Montana. He's Daniel Hardy. He's a senior defensive end for the Bobcats, and his squad opens up Big Sky Conference play on Saturday at Portland State. Daniel, thanks for taking some time, my man. Great hearing from you, and congratulations on a great start to a season. How you doing?
4: Thank you. I'm doing great. How about yourself?
0: Very well. Let's first and foremost talk about this trip out to Portland because the big storyline for the Bobcats is the opening of Big Sky Play for the first time in a long time. One of the main stories for you is a return back home, and I know you're from out in Portland, so this is probably a a cool way for you to open Big Sky Conference Play for your senior season. But first of all, just talk about conference play in general. How do you think the mentality changes or or does it, and and what are you guys expecting now? How do you think you did in the non-conference to prepare yourself for this trip to Portland to open Big Sky Play?
4: I definitely think... Uh, Our mentality uh, about how we approach these teams isn't going to change at all. Um, Our standard here doesn't change no matter who we're playing. Um, It doesn't matter if we're going out there playing Alabama or, you know, a group of middle schoolers, we're going to come out there and perform at our highest, um, you know, every snap. And, um, you know, I think we did a good job preparing. And I think we did a, honestly, I think the best part about the preseason was we were able to, we were able to get out there and play fast and, be able to play full speed and make the mistakes we needed to so we could get them correct.
0: Ty Okada talked about that after the game on Saturday, and he's talked to me about it several times, uh, just about the preparation you guys are putting in, how that's allowing you to play fast. He also mentioned just some of the differences you guys have in your practice style that's helped sort of accelerate that preparation. So just tell me about that. What is different about the way you guys practice and how would you evaluate the way the Bobcat defense has prepared so far during this young season?
4: Uh, One thing, the big major difference is pretty much just the number of reps. Uh, our coaches do a good job of getting us looks that we're going to see in the game. And, you know, they, they give us, you know, large amounts of reps so we can practice it. So when, you know, on Saturday uh, we're not thinking about anything, it's, it's just reaction. And honest, and then on top of that, when you get to, when you see those formations over and over and over again, in the tendencies and practice in the game, it's almost like, you know, it's coming.
0: Seems like Daniel Hardy, by the way, joining us. Montana State catching up with the Cats. We do this every week here on Nuanas Now, as well as a catching up with the Cats podcast series on Skyline Sports. The ones here on Nuanas Now, Contemporary Bobcats, guys that currently play for Montana State, and the uh, podcast series featuring some of the great Bobcats that have played for Montana State over the last ten years. Daniel, he's a senior at Montana State, senior defensive end, and that element, Daniel, the fact that you went from playing outside linebacker, you were a uh, Sam in that three-four scheme, and uh, played alongside Troy Anderson, backing up Troy, but then starting in place of him when. was hurt. Now you're playing DN with your hand on the ground. But it seems like what you just said, being able to play super fast, not have to think too much, that seems like it fits your style of play uh, more than almost anybody on this defensive scheme. So how has it helped you uh, just being able to sort of know where you're going and just get get after the quarterback?
4: Uh, Mostly, uh, pretty much just what you said right there. Like, um, everything is so simple now. Uh, You make one to two reads and then you know what your job is immediately. Um, There's not a, a big you know the question mark as to what you're doing pre-snap um you know we have our rules uh we have you know it's it's fairly simple and you know when it's like that there's everything's like reaction you're not thinking you're not trying to put things together um you can really just like you said put your hand in the dirt and get your job done and I think that you know that's been one of the most beneficial things uh for me um in this new defense Portland State,
0: a team that it's kind of hard to get a gauge on so far because they played a couple Power Fives and then they played a Division Two. I know they have some talent, uh, specifically probably one of the most veteran quarterbacks in the league in Davis Alexander. Uh, he's a fifth-year senior, a four-year starter. So to start with him, I know you probably haven't watched much film yet, but he's a guy that's been around for a while. So um, how, what do you think he he does to sort of drive that Portland State offense?
4: Uh, well, for one, I know he's a, a very dynamic quarterback. He is by no means a statue uh he's not going to sit back in that pocket and just uh, you know accept his fate he's going to do whatever he can to extend plays and and you know get his guys in positions to score so um you know definitely a offensive weapon and you know we'll be we'll be looking to do something about that this weekend
0: and in general, Portland State runs some unorthodox stuff both sides of the ball. I know you're not really looking at the flex defense that they run, but they do have some pistol elements on offense and uh, some fast skill players across the board as well. So, just broadly, uh, what do you think of their attack, and, and what's the key to preparing to, to be ready to slow that down?
4: Honestly, it would be the the same thing as you know as any other team. It's just reading your keys, being disciplined. Um, you know, with a like you said, a team like this with a lot of guys who can who have some juice, you really got to. You know, know your job and do it, and make sure you're not you're you're not that one weak link in the chain. Um, so, honestly, like yeah, just being disciplined, doing your job, and uh, you know, we should come out of this thing on top.
0: And for you, a return home. You're from Portland, and I know it's an opportunity for you to go out and play in front of your family. What do you expect that experience to be like? And uh, you must be excited to be going back home.
4: I, I am excited. It's been a while since I've been able to see my family. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of excited uh, for them to see the the, the changes I've made um, physically. Um, I'm excited for them to see me play. Uh, I don't get a, a too many opportunities to get to play in front of my family and for them to get to see it for the most part they're, they're watching uh, on TV from home. So it'll be great uh, to see them after the game. Um, it'll probably be an emotional experience, uh, but, you know, excited as ever.
0: Daniel Hardy, Senior Defensive End for Montana State. It's our It Up with the Cats series here on Nuwana. is now on ESPN Radio as well as statewide SWX Television. Daniel, a true pleasure as always. Thanks so much for making some time for us today. And best of luck out on the West Coast this weekend.
4: Thanks for having me on.
1: At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond.
0: Well, here's Sammy and Cam down here at Dahlberg Arena at the Adams Center. He's a senior receiver for the Grizzlies. They're preparing for homecoming this weekend, Cal Poly coming to town. So, Sammy, first and foremost, what did you guys get done during the bye week, and what do you think of homecoming here on campus?
6: Um... We just prepared the way we always do, worked hard, got in some good practices, got some off time, obviously. I mean, homecoming's always great. It's always great to see old people come around, not old people, but just like alumni come around. It's always good to see the fans. I mean, the fans love homecoming. Homecoming's a good time. It's a happy time.
0: I'm a University of Montana alum, and I tell you this, I think that more alumni from around the state and the region are engaged in the Grizz than they have been in a long time. So do you feel that as a player?
6: Yeah. Yeah, you definitely feel it. I mean, uh, all the alumni hitting you up, all the alumni at the games, um seeing them at the practices sometimes I mean it's cool and it's awesome to see it's it's really awesome to see.
0: I know a lot of the guys that play for Coach Houck are uh they they love the history of this place and they kind of try to pass it down so do you hear from some older guys Do you got guys reaching out and just saying hey you know keep carrying on the tradition of the Grizz? Sometimes
6: yeah um I'm not too privy to the history of Coach Houck because I'm I'm from Oklahoma so I don't know too much about it I'm sure a lot of the Montana I know a lot of the Montana guys on the team get hit up by former Grizz players who played under how, because they know, I mean, a lot of them were like growing up and they were like, what am I trying to say? Like they got coached by these guys or like got trained by these guys. So it's, it's, I'd say it's probably more of that for the Montana guys, but I get a little bit of that.
0: Cal Poly coming to town, Cal Poly led by Bo Baldwin, who was at Eastern Washington for a long period of time. And I was thinking back, Coach Baldwin hasn't been in the Big Sky since 2016. And I was going through thinking, I wonder if any of the Grizz guys were on the roster back then, and it's you, Conlon Beaver, Jace Lewis, and O.D., Matt O'Donohue. That's it, as far as guys that have been around that long. So, I mean, what's this journey been like for you? How much has changed since you first stepped onto campus?
6: Um, a lot. I mean, I don't – I mean, a lot has changed. This is I mean, a lot of good change. Um. It's been a long journey. Um, It was actually funny. We all got put on the preseason Big Sky list and OD posted. He was like, all of us were the the, me, Jace, uh, Beaver, and OD. We all got put on the – and it was awesome that OD was like, yeah, all of us were here in 2016 and we got put on that. And I was like, man, I hadn't even thought of it like that. But, yeah, we're, we're the old dogs. And it's weird to say we've been here since 2016, but it's been a good journey
0: it's crazy how much changes in college football right and that's kind of a part of college football it teaches you that nothing in life lasts forever right but so many of those guys from your class do you keep up with any of those guys that you came in with
6: yeah uh for sure i mean they all kind of hit me up a lot of them were at the game actually sure. last week and uh, it was good to see them it's always good to see my guys man it's always good to see guys that you came in here with guys that were here during your journey i mean it's it's awesome the guys that have made it to this point what's it taken? Uh, just hard work. Keep your head down and keep working. I mean, if you know anything about Coach Hawk, you know, got to put your down head down and grind and um, look up when at the end of the year.
0: Sammy Kim joining us, senior wide receiver for the Montana Grizzlies here on ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television. This game upcoming, I, you guys probably haven't got – we're talking here on a Monday, so you guys probably haven't looked much at Cal Poly, but it seems like the common theme amongst this team is preparation do what we do best so what does it take though to sort of mentally lock in and do that
6: um just prepare how we know how to prepare every day come in we know what we got to do on monday we know what we got to do on tuesday we know how we prepare on wednesday we know how we prepare on thursday and friday we know what the, what it looks like um preparation is key to be successful and um, you got to come in and work hard every day. And that's just what we know how to do and what we always do.
0: Anybody that's ever seen Malik Flowers with the ball in his hands, returning kicks and stuff, we knew that he was going to be electric once he got a shot. He's waited a long time to get a shot, but 100 yards, two touchdowns last time out. So for you, I know you've you probably been wanting him to get a chance, but what did you think of just his performance against Western Illinois?
6: Um, it was awesome. Uh, I, I, it, it was just awesome. Um, I've I've seen the work that Malik's put in. I've seen that he's he stayed steady. He stayed grinding. He's kept his head down, just like – Just like we do, uh, just like everybody on this team does, but he's stayed... Kept chipping at the block, kept chipping at it, kept chipping at it, and finally got his opportunity, and he showed out, and, and, and it was, it brought a big smile to my face to see that.
0: It seems like from uh, the running backs are sort of a microcosm of next man up, be ready to do your job, but also their performance has been sort of a reflection of how much the offensive line has improved as well. I mean, Junior Bergen played running back for, what, like a week before he goes out there and rushes for almost 100 yards? So what do you think of just that group and the fact that it, it doesn't matter? seems like every guy that gets plugged in there, he's ready to roll.
6: Um, I think that's just a product of our team and everybody – Watching the guys above them and seeing how they prepare and seeing how you know how that guy works. So that's how you got to work, knowing that um, I got to put in the work just as hard as this guy's putting in the work. Not only because my my opportunity could come, but because that's just how we are. That's just our mentality. Work, 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 work. Keep your head down and work. That's just what we do.
0: The Grizzlies will not stop working leading up to this homecoming matchup on Saturday. Your key to the game against Cal Poly. What do you think? Um, Preparation.
6: What it's all about. That's
0: the key word here at Montana. Sammy Kim, sooner wide receiver, joining us here on Nuanas now. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you. There's nothing like Grizz Game Day in Missoula. The people, the excitement, the football. At ESPN, we love to celebrate Grizz football, so join us at the Chamber of Commerce before the game for the Nuanas now, Twisted Tailgate. Sponsored by Twisted T, Carl Tyler Chevrolet, RV Truck Sales, Domino's, Ryan Holloway and Miller, and Pepsi of Missoula. Plus, this week, we have special guest MoFi. We will be broadcasting live and giving away free Pepsi products and tons of swag from our sponsors. So come on down and hang out with us starting at 11 a.m. at the Chamber of Commerce parking lot.